I'm catching up on some things. Forgive me. Kitties. <laughs> They're in my Bible. There's kitties in my Bible. Man, somebody's got me set up to preach a long time. I got three bottles of water. Thanks for loving me, whoever that is. Becky, welcome. Brent's wife, Becky's here from Colorado. Yeah, amen. Make her welcome. He's pumped. I said, hey, your sweetie's coming tomorrow. He's coming across a lot. He has his hat on, his little shades, and the smile broke out. <laughs> he was happy. That's a long time he's been here. This is his sixth week, and Becky released him to come, and it's been a blessing. He got to go away with me. You went two places, actually, just a one-dayer, and then we went to the Delaware on the weekend. So welcome. And then these guys are taking off, what, today? Yeah. Wow. So Brent's leaving today, so make sure you give him a big hug. And uh, they're going to drive back. So he flew Becky in, and they're going to drive back together to sightsee a little and be together. Amen. That's awesome. Bless you guys. You all doing good? Everybody good? Pretty quiet. Nobody really said much, but yeah. are you pretty good? Yeah. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't need you to shout or clap or anything, but I just figured, I figured if you were doing good, you'd be like, yeah. Oh, wow. My wife sneaks pictures in on me, my granddaughter. I don't, yeah, it's so amazing. Oh, then they want to hug her. I'm, not, I'm in trouble with pictures. Who's a picture person? Because when I look at pictures on a trip, it ain't a good thing. Because when I look at, then I want to hug her. I don't, I'm not sure I'm good with pictures. <laughs> I'd just rather get in denial and forget about her. <laughs> Come on, hey, I remember you. <laughs> I just have a hard time. I love her so much. And then when I look at the pictures, I just want to hold her. Oh, God. Thanks, Father. Just by faith, go to 1 Corinthians 13 again with me. We're going to take our time with some things here. But, Father, we just thank you. We love you. Ah, you're so good. Thanks for being so good. You came and you set the record straight. You showed us truth through Jesus Christ. Man, we've been looking and, and seeing, Lord, that you sent Jesus to come as you are and reveal truth to us. Not a truth, the truth. And we honor you. We open our heart to you. We say continue to teach us through your life, through your example. Thank you for renewing and restoring our mind back to the way. And we just thank you. There's transformation in our lives because of you. Not just everlasting life, but transformation in our lives because of you. It's a whole lot deeper than you blessing us today. You've shown us the way. And we just thank you for aligning our eyes, our heart, positioning our feet to follow you. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you. Have your way today. Thanks for all these students. Thanks for hungry hearts. And just thanks for being faithful. Amen? Okay. Man, I feel happy. Thanks, God. We were in this chapter. I'm not going to stay here long. Uh, talks about if you don't have love, you don't have anything. So obviously the motive is love. And there's one simple reason, because love is selfless. 
So whatever you do, it has to be fueled by love because it's selfless and it has the greater impact. If you're just doing things for yourself, then your motive's in question. Then it's like an, uh, an arterial motive. There's a string attached. If Kiara does some wonderful work and inside she has motivated for some of the reasons she does it to draw attention to herself or she just does it, it makes it muddy. It, it doesn't, it, the strong grace of God isn't on that stuff and in the long run it can hurt the person doing the thing because if it's not responded to like she needs it to be, now, now it's to her demise. Now she's just hurting more or more insecure, you know. You got to do things out of love where it's selfless. Amen? Talked about the children of Israel a couple, maybe last week, I don't know. I talk about them a lot because they're, they're, in 2 Corinthians 10, it's written for admonition, all their experiences. It says, so we don't follow them and make the same mistakes. Jesus' life is written so we do follow him. <laughs> children of Israel is written so we don't follow them. <laughs> okay? They made a lot of mistakes. Why? They were thinking for themselves constantly. They were in the wilderness. Come on, think about it. God's there. I'm, I'm just summarizing some stuff. We talked about this. I'm not going to go into it in detail. But they, 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 they have God there. But they're more concerned about where they are. And where's the milk and honey? And well, what's this place? Well, I don't like it here. Full of opinions and preferences. And well, this doesn't look like a promised land. Well, no, we're heading there. Well, why aren't we there yet? Right? God's there. Man, God's there. Who cares? God's there. Who cares if it takes us a while? He's there. He's hovering right over their head. <laughs> He's putting food on the ground every morning. You know, you just got to really keep your heart in an amazing, thankful place so you don't miss the beauty of what God's doing in the midst of life. You're coming out of your tent in the morning and God's provision and faithfulness is all over the ground and you can't see that because you're frustrated with where you are. And then you miss the beauty of who He is. You follow me? You just got to stay real thankful in your life. Even in the hard times, even when everything's challenging, there's a lot to be thankful for through Christ. You were lost and you're found. You, your sins were held against you and now they're removed. They're, you have everlasting life. You're never ever going to die. I say that a bunch. I'm like, God, I'm never going to die. Ever. <laughs> and I get excited. <laughs> and you're not looking when I do that. <laughs> I just get excited. Because I'm never going to die. So it takes fear out of your life. It gets a bigger eye in you than just right now. Oh my God. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, what? Uh, yeah. That's how we live. For right now. Oh, not that. Oh, not this yet. Oh my God. Uh, and we have no bigger vision than how we feel right now and what's going on right now. Jesus has way bigger vision than that. <laughs> he wants us to, too. Or you're just going to be driven by need and circumstances and Here's the children of Israel. They're in a wilderness. God's there. Trials are there. Temptations are there. God was merciful in Exodus. He took them that way because the other way was even tougher. It was the way of the Philistines. And if he'd have took them there, it said they'd have lost heart because of war. So he took them the easy way. Out of the two routes. <laughs> and they weren't happy. Not at all. They said, they kept saying it'd be better for us... If we be back in Egypt, we'll see there's the deception. It's all about God's glory 
God's image and God's name. Guys, your life is all about God's glory, God's image, and God's name. When you say it'd be better for me, you've already missed it. You're, 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 you're not seeing. And you're sitting duck. They're not passing through there into the promised land just for them. God was going to make a statement for his name through the people. Even when Joshua took them into the promised land, nations were saying, oh my goodness, here comes the children of Yahweh. Here comes the children of God. Their God is with them. And there was fear in the land. And they were the children of God. They were to manifest God. But they kept saying it'd be better for us. So there's division among them. Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments and they're down in lasciviousness and messing all around. And there was a lot of stuff going on. Jesus comes much later. And isn't it amazing? As soon as he gets baptized, Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. There's something about the wilderness, the wilderness of life. It's not a tough place where you get sunburned and dehydrated. <laughs> See, that's what Christians think because they say this a lot. I've heard lots of Christians say this. How you doing, man? Oh, man, just, just keep me in prayer, brother. I'm, man, I'm in a wilderness place. And I'm thinking a wilderness place is actually where Holy Spirit led Jesus. <laughs> and he came out in the spirit and power. The Israelites dried up and died there. So <laughs> the only difference is perspective. They were in the wilderness for themselves and didn't want to be there. Jesus was led by the Spirit and was there for God's name and you. And he didn't lack nothing in the wilderness. Oh, he was hungry after 40 days. He hungered. His flesh hungered, but his spirit was full. In the wilderness, they had meat hanging out their teeth because they were complaining for quail, and it says their souls were lean. So they had meat hanging out their teeth and lean souls. <laughs> Fat bellies and lean souls is <laughs> probably, probably not the answer. <laughs> so Jesus goes into the wilderness, fulfills what they failed. They're in there 40 years wandering. He's in 40 days. He comes out. He's in the spirit and power. They wandered and died and never, met the, never fulfilled the promise, never walked into the promise. That's a drastic difference in outcome. Only one difference in motivation, self and selfless. Isn't that something? So it's big, isn't it? I talk about it all the time, don't I? Yeah, you talk about it all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> here we go again. <laughs> it's important. Jesus said, if you don't deny yourself, you can't even come to him. If you don't deny yourself, you'll never pick up your cross because as soon as something doesn't go your way, you're frustrated. How are you going to carry your cross if you're living for you? How are you going to walk through injustice if it's about you and fairness and people treating you right? How are you going to ever carry your cross if you don't deny yourself? Get real with me. Come on. And somehow we reduced it to a prayer for blessing and a prayer to go to heaven. And I say that all the time because it's really, really, really a limited view. Christianity is not about going to heaven. It's about being transformed and restored back to who God is in you. And that's why we've sent such a bad impression to the world and we've actually, we actually strengthened religion over the last several generations big time. Just building churches, paying homage to God. 
So it's all about denying yourself. Here's what love is, okay? Verse 4. <laughs> I laugh. People, who's ever heard people do the patience prayer? Praying for patience. And then people, people say, Well, you better not pray for patience, dude. You pray for patience, God just might give it to you. <laughs> and I'm thinking, but love is patient. You know, to just become love. If you're saying I need patience, you're just saying I lack love. You're just splitting up love into attributes. <laughs> love is patient. Just become love. You'll never have to pray for patience. <laughs> Why get an attribute of love when you can become love? <laughs> you get it? Love is patient. It's in your Bible. <laughs> it's not my definition, nor it's, it's not even Webster's, man. This isn't even Webster's definition. This is a Bible. Love is patient. Guess what else it is? It's kind. Wow. You know why it's kind? Because it's not frustrated, because it's not violated, because it's not selfish. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> you all right? <laughs> I'm not sure what I said. <laughs> it's not frustrated because it's not violated because it's not selfish. That's why it's kind because it has nothing to do for itself. It enjoys loving you. <laughs> and you can't break its heart and you can't ruin its day. Love is amazing. It's the most powerful place you can live because you're not waking up for you. You're waking up for the world you live in and the Father that loves you. Come on, that's what it means to live for God. This phrase we always say, live for God. I understand we live from Him and we live through Him. But if you want to define living for God, it's, it's living with the motivation of manifesting His name and loving the world that He died for. And if it's all about how people are and aren't treating you, you're just going to be way deceived and you're setting yourself up for a frustrated journey. You're going to nitpick and fault find and you're going to have a language that you had before Christ ever came. And the Bible says old things pass away and all things are new. <laughs> so you don't want to bring the mindset in that you had before Christ into your life. Look, I'm not, it's not going to be a tough morning. I'm not being harsh. I'm just being real. I'm just being real straight shooting right now. I want you to think about this. Come on. The gospel demands change, but God isn't a pushy shovey. He, he just came in the beauty of Jesus' life. Come on, we love Jesus. We, we look at Jesus, we love him. Most Christians look at Jesus and just love who he is and what he's done. But we don't understand he wants to reproduce himself in us, Christ in us. Firstborn among many brethren, as he is, so are we. As the Father sent me, I send you. He's not separating that. He's making us one. He's firstborn among many. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. They're all scriptures. That's amazing. So watch this. It's patient. It's kind. Why? Because it's not frustrated. Because it's not violated. Because <laughs> it's not selfish. Hey, I said it again. <laughs> Holy Spirit's going to get this stuff in me. <laughs> I was in a church in North Carolina and the guy said, can you repeat that? I said, absolutely not. Get the tape. And I just kept preaching. I didn't even know what I said, but man, I knew it was good. I was like, that was so good. I was like, where did that come from? Can you repeat? No, I'm not even going to try. It was too good the first time. Get the tape. 
Every once in a while I tell somebody to write something down, I just might try to preach that. Yeah, it's just funny. Love doesn't parade itself around, look at me, look at me. Come on, doesn't. It's too busy looking at others. Right? Love has its affection and heart set on others and others' well-being. Right? It's not puffed up. It's not proud. Come on, I want you to really listen to this, guys. Let's let this challenge our lives because we have been so taught to have attitudes that have nothing to do with the kingdom. They're, they're counterproductive. Counterproductive from the time you can remember. You might be amazed you don't even remember. You were so little. You were so little moving in these attitudes because you were born into them. You, you, were, you were barely two and you were going, yeah. Yes, you were. <laughs> yes, you were. Yeah, no. As sweet as you were, man, I could open that little front end and see my little grand. Oh, she's so precious. But man, I've seen her do it. She never does it to me. <laughs> she doesn't. It. It's amazing. But she does it to folks. Now she's a little older, so she can attach English to it. <laughs> and good mothers, good mothers think they're doing something wrong when their kids are acting that way. The Christian mothers are doing everything they know to do to train up their child. They're praying. They're being as sweet. And, they're, and then the child goes, nah, and they think they're failing as a mother. <laughs> and I say, no, your child's just going to be born again someday. It's all right. <laughs> just keep modeling Christ. It'll all work out. <laughs> but mothers get in condemnation, and, and they are sure they're doing something wrong or their child wouldn't be acting that way. It's called Adam. Serious? I, you, you have no idea as a pastor. I bet Don has, has had it happen. I've had good mothers, young mothers that purpose to keep peace and no strife in the home and they push out darkness at all costs. I mean, I, I know some people like that. And then their child goes, Wah, and they think they're failing. But she's throwing a tantrum. It's because she's thinking for herself. And it's all she knows to do. And you didn't even teach her that. Isn't that amazing? It's just inner. And he born again. Isn't that amazing? That's the first expression in a tiny child before it can speak English. You can see the motivation. It's called the fall of man. It's the opposite of love. It's desperate for love, but it's in a self-centered way. As precious as children are. I'm not saying anything bad about kids. It just means we need saved, right? But the paradox is you and I grow up with that mentality and we're sure it's normal. It's the way that seems right. And Jesus came with a brand new living way. He's the truth. Amen. Wouldn't it been neat watching Jesus as a little baby? Because he never did that. See, he wasn't born into Adam. He was born of the father. Serious, Jesus, Jesus never, wouldn't it just be fun to have watched Jesus growing up? Because Jesus never went, give me. 
I want. <laughs> no, mama. He never did that. From a selfish place, ever. He never sinned. He was born of the Father. Guess what we're born of through Christ? <gasps> Do you get it? Who are we born of? We said it yesterday, not the will of flesh, not the will of man, but the will of God. We're born of the Father. We've been refathered. Come on. Change everything, huh? Now his spirit comes into us, but the mind, the mind is what the gospel wants to renew. Amen? But you better open your heart and say it's possible and you have to want to. The world will try to quench the want to. The flesh will try to quench the want to. The wars against the things of the spirit. Try to suppress the want to. You just want something for you. Jenny, thanks, my little mic buddy. <laughs> See how thin we keep our mic buddies? They just got them running, man. <laughs> Good. Thank you, buddy. Okay, yesterday you ended on this. I want to ask this question. It's going to fit right here. Lack of, you said yesterday God doesn't kill us, okay? And we have, we've been put on the earth. You said we suffer from three things, lack of knowledge, power of the tongue, and we reap what we sow. Can you enlighten that some more, please? God made man to have dominion over the earth, gave him authority, and told him to subdue the earth. Okay? That's still in place. When man surrendered and gave up the lifeline, the love line, he became subdued instead of subduing. Christ comes and subdues, wins everything back, and gives us the kingdom. And we're still blaming God for stuff. And God's given us the kingdom. He's given us the power of his name, the authority of the name of Jesus, the truth of the finished work, and he called us to live by faith. If we decree a thing, it'll come to pass. If we gather touching anything, agreeing with faith, not doubting in our heart, believing according to the will of God, shall be done. Whatever things, all things, whatever you ask in prayer, believing, shall be done. There's a place to grow in authority, selfless, fearless, full of courage without being in presumption and pride and, and subdue the earth. That's the restoration of Christ. He put the kingdom back in our hands. He, he puts you back in the position of reigning. King of kings, Lord of lords. Whoa. You're freaking me out. That's blasphemous. No, it's scripture. Who's the kings? Who's the other small K's and small L's? <laughs> You following? So, we're destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, 7 says that about it, he gives us the knowledge and his people reject it. There's so much given through Christ Jesus and we're still debating over doctrine and stuff and letting our experience support our case. We're letting life support our, our, our cases. We're looking at life going, see, because this happened, God's this. Well, you can't tell me this is true or this would have never happened. And we're over-spiritualizing that part, not realizing the responsibility we have. 
to live in faith and not in fear, to live selfless and not selfish. So every time man does that, Jenny, and lives in that opposite way, he's opening the door for things that aren't the will of God. How's that for straight up? You follow me? So everything that happens isn't the will of God. And we're taught, how many people were taught that everything that happens is the will of God? Who grew up taught that? Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches you're destroyed for the lack of knowledge, not the will of God. Get the knowledge and stop the destruction. Is the destruction the will of God or the lack of knowledge? So if we had the knowledge, would the destruction be there? So is the destruction the will of God or us not understanding? Has God given the understanding through His Word? Whoa. Power of life and death in the tongue. God can will life and men speak death and reap what they sow. Why? Because he made man to govern the earth in his image, in his glory, and by his spirit. You follow me? Okay. It's God's desire. God desires. Could you find God's will in desire? God's will, God's desire is that all men be saved and filled with the knowledge of truth. Are all men saved? Does God want all men saved? Are they all saved? Well, then everything that's happening is not the will of God. <laughs> God takes no pleasure in the death of the... but that the wicked would... Return, repent. Do all wicked repent and return? Does God take pleasure in that? So he didn't orchestrate that. Wow. Y'all good? You see how these little lies were interjected into our life all along the way so that we didn't press in and seek and become what we're created to be so we just put it all on God in case our lives away, whatever will be, will be. And then we learn to live life as it comes and come up with an explanation as we need one. And the Bible says, study and show yourself approved. So who are we falsely protecting the whole way along the way with that kind of language? Falsely protecting because we're protecting ourselves, but it's at our own cost because we're never growing up in truth and truth makes us free. You guys all good? Yeah. All listening and looking. Is everybody okay? Okay. It is good, isn't it, Brad? <laughs> just love the gospel. So you reap what you sow. What's, why do we say that has anything to do with the will of God? If you sow into the flesh, you reap of the flesh, you reap destruction and corruption. Is that the will of God? But can you reap that? Why? Because you chose that. It's amazing how we grew up to think. Somebody murders somebody, even an innocent person. Somebody gets hit by a car. Somebody gets in a wreck. And automatically, the world brings God into the conversation. Well, I don't know why God allowed that to happen. Well, why would he let that? Well, why did he do that? Well, why would he take instantly? We're trained 
And now we have so many heartbreaks and issues and hurts and newspaper articles and, and, and news media that is just gloom and trauma and ugh. And God is the culprit and people can't even have a good image of him. They don't want to get intimate with him. Well, who's this God that loves? I should, his, Kimberly's husband wrote a song, God on Trial. It's really good. I should have brought it in and going to play it right now. Said about the whole, everybody drove for miles around to the courthouse, and the sign was God's on trial. He had God sitting in the courthouse. The judge hits the gavel and says, There's a bunch of angry people here, and you're the culprit. What's your, you know, how do you plead? Or It's amazing. And in the song, he stands up and, and he says, You have me on trial, but it's your mistake. We're so busy fighting God, we've never took the time to become like Him, and most of us don't think we can. <laughs> so we're reduced to fighting against Him and arguing and complaining. And just like the children of Israel, now we're wandering through life, some of us more than 40 years now, wandering through our whole life, grumbling, grumbling, and complaining, and falling dead, when there's a promised land. It's the same exact scenario happening today. And it's even happening in the church. Or you can follow Jesus. <laughs> the wilderness is not a bad place. God's there. Water comes out of a rock. <laughs> Food's laying on the ground. There's fire hovering over you when it's cold. And there's clouds when it's hot. <laughs> Sounds like pretty good provision to me. Who cares where I'm at if God's there? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Shane, you had something? Um, I share this. Uh, uh, not fully understanding this or not trying to make any kind of doctrinal statement of any of any kind, but personally this is how God's revealed it to me, so hopefully there's maybe a little bit of encouragement there, but... Um, when Jesus was on the cross, um, it's so significant that he said, um, uh, Father, why have you forsaken me? Revealing the this uh, being cut off from his unity with the Father. And in that, I was, I was thinking about that. And this is just kind of what the Holy, how the Holy Spirit presented it to me. And so um, Jesus had to die and he had to die for, uh, he had to die for us. And in dying, he also, he couldn't go back to his, he had to go down to the place of the dead. He had to go down to Abraham's bosom. He couldn't go back and be in the presence of the Father. He had to go back down to the place of the dead. And the only way he could get down to the place of the dead is if uh, his if, if his unity with the Father was disconnected. That's kind of how, I don't know, this is just simply how the Holy Spirit hit me with it. And what he said to me is, Shane, your spirit will never be disconnected from me. That's right. So when Jesus was on the cross, and this is just how it hit me, when Jesus was on his cross, his vessel could go through anything. But the only way he could have died is, one, if God called him home to him, if, his, if God said, your spirit is coming to me now, and God brought his spirit to him, or if his life, or if uh, his unity with the Father was severed so that he could actually die and go down to place of the dead. What that did with me is this vessel could go through anything. Like Jesus on the cross would not have died 
within his unity with the Father unless God said, come back. So he's on the cross. His vessel could be as dead as could be, but he's not dead. He would not, his spirit would not have left his body, his vessel, unless God says, come back. And for me, that's entirely, extremely powerful. It's huge. Because my vessel could go through hell even beyond what Jesus has went through. And there's no way that that is marking my death. There is no way that that is going to separate my spirit from my body. Right. Period. No matter what happens. It's the parallel of the cross. You've heard me probably preach out. I'll say he was separated from the Father so you could forever be joined. And he died so you never have to. And I, you know, start sharing in parallels when you're preaching it out. That's one of the parallels. He was separated so you're forever joined. Forever. Very powerful. It's intimate revelation and relationship with God. That's what it inspires. Uh, you know, there's some things about the cross that I don't know for sure. I, I, I like what you're talking about. He's really scratching on some stuff. Uh, I'm just going to make a quick comment, and then we're just going to talk about this love thing here. But go to, yeah, maybe, go to Romans 5 real quick. We, we read it the other day. Just as through one man sin entered the world, verse 12, Romans 5. Shane's saying about Jesus, the only way he could have died, etc. See, the only way he could have died is because he was separated from the Father and seen as sin. He was made to be sin. That's what separated him. He was made to be sin. So he took on the position of a sinner. So you could take on the position of a son, of a saint. He became what we were on the cross so we could become what he is. Okay? Remember how he said over and over, nobody takes my life, I freely give it? Was Jesus completely, totally innocent? Was he completely sin-free? Was he sin-free? So he was literally just made to be sin. So he never committed sin. So there was never sin in his heart. Romans 4 says, by the spirit of holiness, he was raised from the dead. So death couldn't hold him. Satan took the blood and shed the blood of an innocent man. Big mistake. I, oh. So through his innocence, all the guilty now go free. He was the lamb. He was the scapegoat. By faith in him, our guilt's washed away. It's the simple gospel. It's amazing. Where did I turn it to? Romans 5. I want you to see something. Did you ever wonder how he could be beat beyond description and not be dead? Did you ever wonder how, some of you medical folks, who's here has nursing or does medical stuff? Okay. Is it possible to be beat beyond description in your body, not go into medical shock or a coma? It's impossible. It's impossible to be whipped and beat and beat over your head with rods. And when you look at a man's face, not even be able to tell who the man is and just continue to beat him. And then him carry his own cross up to the, and then pierced. And, and he's still preaching. He has the clarity of mind. He's still preaching truth. I mean, he's hooking up his mother and John together. And behold your son, your mother. And, and he's quoting, he's still quoting scripture. People are like, even now he's still quoting scripture. Because he's beat beyond description. Come on, you get your finger caught in a car door. And you lose yourself for about an hour. I'm being real. Wham! Ah! Right? Are you relating? We're not talking a card, we're talking this cat of nine tails thing. Cat. cat. <laughs> See? It was crucified Jesus, a cat! Crucified Jesus! Oh, it's back in me, Vicky! Cats! <laughs> 
A cat crucified the Son of God. Away with all cats. I oh, oh. What happened? What was I saying? I love cats. Man, you carry authority, Vicky. That thing screamed out of me. I'm having so much fun with that cat thing. A cat crucified the Son of God. It just hit him again and again. I knew there was something about them little buggers. Think about it, how they made it. They had metal shards and all kinds of stuff in them, whips. And it, you saw the movie Passion. Who saw the movie Passion? Every Christian ought to watch the movie The Passion. I don't, don't say it's too gory. You need a grip. You need to understand. Tape your eyes open and make yourself watch. Because you need to understand it's real. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, that's just too, too violent. It's too... Yeah, it was very violent. We probably ought to get a grip of just how serious it was. I put on the movie The Passion every once in a while just to stay sober. Just to keep my heart alive so I don't get nonchalant and lascivious and just say whatever. Let's watch it. It's impossible. You medical folks, the movie The Passion. It'd be impossible to go through that kind of beating and even be conscious. True? Did you see the movie The Passion? Pretty serious. But here's the deal. Therefore, just as through one man's sin... Uh, entered the world, death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Well, Jesus never sinned. So I'm thinking, no wonder they couldn't kill him. He took the beaten first. Why was he troubled? Why was he troubled in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweating blood and crying out and so sorrowful, troubled even unto death? Because he didn't want to do it? Was he getting cold feet? Well, love never fails. It doesn't change its mind. So he wasn't getting cold feet. He said, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But if not, let's go for it. What's he, what's he saying? He knows that he's going to go into an arena in the flesh and pay the price for every man that ever sinned and carry the weight of the world and be beat for every man's sin and not even be able to escape through death. Death had no power over him. He said, no man takes my life. I freely lay it down. It wasn't until they pierced him and he was crucified as a sinner and was pierced and hung on the, the pole. Cursed is every man who hangeth on a tree. So once he took that position, he was made to be sin. And that's when he cried out. Father, why have thou forsaken me? Because now he took the position of a sinful man. But he had never sinned. So the whole time they're beating him, death's not the reality. Life is. He's life. He's the author and giver of life. He is life. He's the resurrection and the life. I don't know how that looks, but I just know one thing. The Bible says he was marred more than any of the sons of men. That means what they put Jesus through was more than any barbaric act they've ever done to a person. Marred more than any of the sons of men. It's Isaiah 52. Jesus was marred more than anyone ever was. Think with me of the barbaric stuff people have done to people in history. So do you think they treated him pretty bad? And you couldn't tell who he was. 
unrecognizable. And he's still alive. And he's talking. I mean, you hear them stories, the, the mystics and stuff. You know, the guys walking around with their heads, the martyrs, and they're walking around with their heads and their heads talking. I, <laughs> I believe that would have been Jesus' story. I don't, you couldn't kill him until he was hanging on a tree. Because once anyone's hanging on, now he comes under this law of cursed is anyone coming. But what, here's the deal. Was God cursing his son on the tree? What was he cursing on the tree? Oh, what was he cursing? Sin. Oh my goodness. And sin has no dominion over us. So what did he take care of forever? Sin. Was his son cursed? He was made to be a curse. He became a curse when he was made to be sin so we could become right with God. It's amazing. So what Shane's bringing out is very powerful. You have to catch the parallels. You know, the, one of my favorite ones I preach all the time is he was, he was, it was important that he was beat unrecognizable because when sin got done with us in the garden, man didn't look anything like he was created to look. Man lost his appearance and identity when he ate the fruit. So man lost his God-given appearance, so Jesus had to be beat beyond description to get back our rightful identity. It's huge. Now you tell me if that's love or not. <laughs> Going into an arena knowing you're going to get beat beyond description and not be able to escape through death. You couldn't even ask death to help you in this case. You just have to get beat and then be made to look like to men what you know you're not. Can you imagine that? The Pharisees standing there mocking him. He saved others. Can't even save himself. Did you remember their language? Did you hear how they're thinking? Who are they thinking for? Said, come down. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. Save yourself if you're who you say you are. Ha <laughs> ha. He said, he's the son of God. Yeah, let's see if God even wants him. All those things were spoken at Jesus on the cross. Do you see how man thinks? Who's he thinking for? Save yourself. He's not even there to save himself. He's there to save them that are criticizing him. And the, the, and the, and the total position of grace was towards the very ones that were criticizing if they would just repent, right? Do you see how powerful love is? Come on, somebody gets in your face like that over something way smaller. <laughs> and you got serious hurt, church hopping issues, 14 counseling appointments, <laughs> inner healing for three years for your broken spirit. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> it is true. And I don't mind just saying. <laughs> Saved others, yay. Can't even save yourself. Not supposed to. You hear how twisted their thinking was to the message the son was bringing? 180, wasn't it? So I just want you to see, I don't, I don't believe Jesus could have died until he was made to be sin and put on the cross. And then he still it was a willing thing. He yielded himself to be sin. He never sinned. Never once, never once in his heart did he just go, I wish for a minute I wasn't a lamb. I just smote you, you arrogant Pharisee. 
<laughs> Come on. <laughs> Go back to First Corinthians. We better get back on love. <laughs> so I'm ready to shoot me some Pharisees here. No, no, <laughs> no I'm not. No. <laughs> you got to get this, cr- this cross thing. It's the, it's the story of our lives, guys. It's not some sentimental Easter story and, oh, poor Jesus. He, he doesn't even want you to cry for him, does he? Because he knew in three days he was going to raise from the dead and sit at the right hand of God and be king and Lord forever. True? So was it a death unto death? It was death unto life. But here's the deal, not just life unto him. God therefore raised him up higher... Uh, I know I said to go to Corinthians, and we will. We really will, because I want to finish that definition. But look at Philippians 2 quick. It's all right. I just want you to see how many places this kind of stuff's in the Bible. Philippians 2. Let's just look at verse 1 real quick. If there's any consolation and encouragement, I read this probably first week of school. Any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy. So there's encouragement through Christ, there's comfort through the love of the Father, and there's intimacy, koinonia, fellowship with Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He's talking about the mind of love, guys. He's talking about selflessness. You might have a little different take on certain doctrinal stuff and scriptures, but who knows, you might have a little different calling, a little different grace on your heart. You might have the elderly on your heart more than anything, and somebody might have missions on their heart more than anything. You might have children on your heart more than anything. You might like to just go door to door, walk the streets, and just talk to people. And there's different graces and gifts and callings in people, true? But yet the Bible says have one mind and be like-minded. Doesn't it? And be of one accord and one mind. It's called love. It's called waking up for God's image. In the midst of your gifting and calling, pursue God's image. Everybody living for the same reason. We all wake up for the same goal. You might have a different calling on your heart. You might have a different aspect of ministry, a little vein of grace in an area. But you wake up for the same reason I woke up. To manifest His image. True? Now watch. Let nothing. How many things? Let nothing. Pretty all-inclusive, huh? You look up nothing up in the Greek, guess what it means? It means nothing. That's refreshing. <laughs> it's a trick to some of these words. <laughs> Listen to the Holy Spirit. He says, you better check that word out. Does he ever do that to you when you're looking? I read, because I teach, so I'm reading my Bible. And he says, you need to know what that word means. So I'll look it up, because I don't look up a lot of words. But he tells me to sometimes. Let nothing be done through what? Selfish ambition. What's your say, Donna? Vain? Okay. Vain ambition. Selfish. Vain. That means zero, right? Vanity. But in lowliness of mind, that's humility, let each esteem what? Others better than? He saved others, can't even save himself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. Well, if I'm selfish right now and come down from the cross, you'll be lost forever. So what do you want? See how deceived they were? They have no clue. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. Okay, pal. If that's the case, okay. So wonder if Jesus, remember that added, you know, the Last Supper thing we did the other day? Here's another good one. Okay, pal. Is that the way you really want it? I'll give you a chance to change your mind, or I'm going to take you up on that. 
Yeah, well, if you can come down, come down. Save yourself. You saved others, save yourself. Okay, boom, Jesus come down. So if he comes down, then what? The guy that's arrogant and that's costing him and it's, that he's lost forever. So here's the man accusing him, chiding him, all this stuff to him, and love holds him there, forgiving Father, he has no clue. But if you raise me up, we'll draw him to us. <gasps> Better get a grip on love. Because Jesus has every right to be right, right about now. And that guy is way wrong. Forgive them, Father, they know not. But do you see how opposite it is? We're considering others more highly than ourselves. What was the leaders of the day considering? Yourself higher than anything. So how do you think they were ministering? No wonder Jesus said you wear your phylacteries, you do this, you do this, and, and, and make them long, and your garments have no tassels wide, and you just want to be seen by men in the best seats. In the He exposed that, didn't he? Because they were doing what they were doing for prestige and esteem and identity and notoriety, and it had nothing to do with love and truth, right? So when love and truth came, it was so opposite of what they were motivated by that they'd rather hold on to the kingdom they were building than the one they were called to minister. You have to be very careful. You don't ever let yourself get trapped in that. If God ever has you in what we call ministry, we're all ministers, I understand. But I'm talking about where you feel like you have a ministry and you have a card and we do this and we're called to this. And you better keep your heart real clean and pure. You're not called to build a kingdom. You're called to minister one that's already built. In Paul's day, well... Where is it? It's right here. It's got to be right here. Thank you, God. Where was Paul sending Timothy? Had nobody of like mind. Thought that's in Philippians. Thanks, God. Of what chapter? Yeah, there it is. I, I knew it was in there, and I'm, I didn't think it was back up far. I was looking in the front. I was like, Philippians 2. Uh, we have it. Watch this. Verse 19 of Philippians 2. Watch this. This is amazing. 30 years into church history, guys. 30 years into church history. Okay? About. For I have, uh, but I trust in the Lord. Verse 19, Jesus, to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. See who he cares about? Here's a guy that's going through a lot of stuff in the name of ministry and all he cares about is their state. He's lacking. He's in chains most of the time. He's getting beat and whipped and stoned. And he says, the perils and perils and the perils, but what comes upon me most is my deep concern for all the churches. You hear the love in this man? Now, here's, here he, he's sending Timothy so he can hear how the church is doing. Look, it's a, it's a sad statement, 30-some years into church history. For I have no one like-minded like Timothy. He's the only one I have like this, who will sincerely care for you 
For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. He's talking about ministers. Hello? Who's the other? Who's the all? For all. I have no one like-minded. <laughs> For all seek their own. All. Who's the all? Whoever else is ministering. <laughs> Oops. 30 years, something years into church history, he can only find one man that's like-minded like him and Christ that'll sincerely care for the state of the people and don't have something in it for themselves. 30-some years into church history, how do you think that's turned out 2,000 years later when we're preaching, just pray this prayer to go to heaven and pray to God, you know, make your life better. <laughs> All seek what? Their own. And not the things which are as Christians. Man, we should learn. But you know his proven character. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. There I hope to send him at once, etc. I shared that scripture as a six-month-old, four-month-old pastor. I was two and a half years old in the Lord. But a pastor in a pastor's meeting in York with 60 pastors in the room. And that's the scripture of the Lord. <laughs> He woke me up on Saturday and spoke that scripture to me for Thursday's meeting on Saturday so that I knew it was the Lord. And I shared that in a pastor's meeting and that didn't fly real well because I was just a green little fella and who do you think you are? That was that, the response, not everybody, but 50 out of 60 in the room disdained the message. Only to prove that it was the word of the Lord. Because if you can't hear that message, you're denying something in your heart. You're defending something. If, that's, if you can't hear, I don't care if I'm a first day old in the Lord. It's the word of God. It doesn't matter if I'm a one day old Christian. But I'm only a four month pastor. Who are you to tell us? What are you insinuating? What are you applying? Whippersnapper. As soon as you have that attitude, what, what are you saying? That it is a word from the Lord. And that you're threatened by the word of the Lord. And the messenger. And the message. I could be saved one day and read that in a group of pastors. And they should be thankful that the word's there to safeguard our hearts. <laughs> Why would I care if you've just been saved today? I'd say, God, thank you for just giving me that word of encouragement. Keep it wide. But because there was things being protected, kingdoms being built, prestige, identity stuff, that word was a threat. And who are you to say this to us when you just started pastoring? We've been pastoring for years. It was a sad, sad experience. It made me cry a lot. I, it, it was... God taught me a lot in that season because it was trying to offend me and hurt my heart at times. There was a time I was going to pray for all the pastors of York from the wrong place. I was crying and crying and I started to feel hurt. And I got alone in a room and I was bawling on the floor and I'm, it feels good because they're so wrong that your tears feel right. So everything you pray is going to be right. And I stood up to my feet and you should have saw that. Full of emotion, boy. I said, I was really spiritual. Now I'm spiritual. I said, Father, 
I lift all of these pastors before you. And I'm like, I'm into it. I got the voice now. I got the prayer voice. You know what I mean? I lift all of these pastors before you. And the Lord went, shh. There's this big, loudest hush shook my spirit. He said, that has nothing to do with you. Fulfill what I've called you to do. Keep running your race. What he was telling me is I was hurt and I was being distracted and I was letting those pastors be my agenda and my motivation. And now I'm praying from the problem instead of just enjoying the answer and living my life in Christ. Now I have an issue. And it would have seemed spiritual to pray for them because they were so messed up. See how we do? <laughs> you can learn from that one because I was sure sucked in. Oh, I was hooked deep. I was like, Father, I lift these pastors. Who knows, I could intercede for a half hour and just quoted all their religion, all this stuff. God, you need to wreck them. And Lord, I ask for your spirit to come. And it's as if I care. No, I'm just frustrated and violated because I've tasted of their religion. And now I'm just praying because they're a bunch of messed up people. And they're leading our churches. And, uh, and uh, got to pray from all the wrong places. I agree we have to pray, but it's with compassion and because we love and care and there's hope and not because we're ticked. <laughs> and I was ticked. God told me not to pray. Don't pray. That has nothing to do with you. Isn't that something? That was a long time ago. That was 15, 15 and a half years ago. Something. I just thank God for his intervention like that. Or I could just be a Another hurting fellow in ministry with a bunch of chips and preaching out of all the pain. Projecting from the authority of the pulpit, my hurts. <laughs> right? <laughs> wow. Look at verse 20 one more time. This is sobering. I have how many? How many? Wow. That just stuff makes me sober. I don't know how that affects you. That makes me sober. 30-some years into church history. No one like-minded who will sincerely, sincerely, that's an important word, guys. If you seek your own, can you be sincere? No, you have other agenda. It's you. For all seek their own. That means Timothy didn't. That means Paul didn't. Certainly Jesus didn't. They're following him. Fair enough? Okay. I told you I'm going to take my time. We're going to get into this love thing. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13. We have to camp here in this love because we just read in the first couple of verses that the men... And people they list, that this Word of God lists in the first two verses, we already covered the other day, would be Christian icons and keynote speakers in the world conferences. True? You, you can have tongues of angels, understand not some mysteries, all mysteries. He amplifies this on purpose. All knowledge, watch this, have all faith to move every mountain. That's Christian icon, come on. It's like spiritual heroes. 
That's definitely our keynote speaker at the World Conference. The dude that's walking like this, we want him to lay hands on us. But the Bible says if he has love, he has zero. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's amplified on purpose like that. He's extreme on purpose. He's making a point. That love has to be your motive or it'll be your downfall. You're doing things for the wrong reasons. You're going to fall in pride. You're, just, you're using the gift to draw attention to yourself. Whatever's the case, you're not even going to be able to sincerely care for the state of the people. You just like how people respond to how God moves through you. You just like how people respond to the move of God in your life. But he's all about sincerely caring for people. Laying down your life for the sake of others. Considering others more highly than yourself. Not the need to be esteemed because God's rocking and tearing it up through your life. And people go, woo. And then you go to bed feeling good about yourself because everybody loves you because God moves through you. He's saying that's twisted. He didn't say some mysteries, guys. He said all mysteries. He didn't say some mountains. He said all mountains and all faith. It sounds like that man's arrived. You haven't arrived till you become love. And then when those things are your reality, they're crystal clean, totally multiplied, and eternal. Without a sad story <laughs> or whatever we've seen along this run. Right? He wants us to be selfless so we can sincerely care for the state of others. He's not saying to pursue to be the most anointed man on the planet. Be sincere and start there. Care about others more than yourself. God can work with that. He'll change the world around us if we start living that way. If you just need to do miracles... Whoa, wonder how we'd react to that. Wonder what we'd do and what would happen to the man that didn't have love if everybody he touched in a wheelchair would just jump up. That would be awesome for the people in the wheelchairs, I understand. But at the, at the cost of a lot of things. Yes, it would. You know, history records men that have moved in those ways and had secret alcoholism, wife fashions, all kinds of stuff. Why? Because they were identified through the way God moved through them instead of their heart being one with Christ. And it causes a lot of stuff in the church, in the world. When you're sincerely caring for someone's state, there's nothing to dig up there. When the rubber meets the road and you're sincerely caring for men's states and your life proves that fruit, Dateline couldn't even do nothing with that. They'd have to say there's a God. <laughs> you know they want to get in on the stories, find out what's wrong with it. Yeah. I can give all my goods to the poor. It's, it's, a, it's a principle of God. It's, a, it's, a, it's right to give to the poor. But I can give all my goods. How many goods? See, it doesn't even say some. It says all. It's extreme on purpose. 
and my body to be burned, but if I don't have love, it profits me. No, look what it says. Profits me nothing. Why? Because if it's not for love, it's for me. So the ones that you gave all your stuff to profited. They benefited your, their material gain of your stuff. <laughs> they got the blessing of your goods, but it profited you nothing. Because if you do what you do to be seen by men, you have your reward already. The best you can get from men is all you get. Because it's for you. It's not for his namesake and for the true sake of others. Do you see the false motivation? So if I'm giving all my stuff to Anthony and, and, and Jenny and just telling them, you know, well, it's the God thing to do. And they're like, oh my God. They'll, they'll be benefit from it. But if I do it just so they go around and tell everybody and so that it makes it a statement to you guys and I have some other ulterior motive, then God's grace is no longer in the picture. There's no reward. There's nothing eternal. Come on, it's possible. It's possible to live this way in the name of the Lord. Back up to 1 Corinthians 3, quick. I don't know how we get into some of this stuff, but 1 Corinthians. Verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Remember the hearer and the doer and the hearer and the not doer, the wise and the foolish, same storm comes to both. What's the storm trying to do? Tear down what was what? Built. God's building things through our lives. We lay the foundation in Christ, right? The foundation is deep, it's solid, and now there's something built. We built a house on the rock. So it's not just a foundation. You don't just have a Christian confession. God is building something in your life. You don't just have a testimony of going to heaven one day. Are you with me? We're building something. And it's, I got this picture once, I was praying. I was standing on this big, you know how we have these huge quartz rocks in York County? You know what I mean by them quartz rocks and big cool looking quartz rocks? It was this big, it looked like a big quartz rock. It was huge and it was pretty. And I was standing on top of it. And I was pretty too. It's a big rock. The rock said, Christ. Coming out of my feet were bands, like, looked like, like vines almost. Coming out of my feet. And there was four of them coming out of my feet, two this way and two this way. They were going around, crisscrossed over, and all at the bottom tied in one big tight knot around this rock. And on the bands, it was said love on every band. That was a vision Jesus gave me 15 years, 15 and a half years ago in prayer. He said, I'm founded on the rock, held there by love, rooted and grounded in love on the rock. And I was like, oh, I get that. It's not just a confession, it's a life change. It's a motivation lived. It's not just going to church and singing the right songs, sit down, stand up, and offering, yay, great, praise the Lord. 
I'm founded on the rock, but I'm rooted and grounded in love, and my life is being built up in Him, and we're stone upon stone being built into a spiritual house. God's building something. It's called His church. It's not thanks for all this, but He's building something called His church. Come on. What, what, what are the storms after? You or what's being built? If you're selfish, you think the storms are for, against you. Yeah, I can't believe this is happening to me. Why is God letting this happen to me? How come everything bad happens to me? <laughs> Here we go again. I hate going through this. I don't know why. Why does God stop this? Where's, where's the grace in my life? See, because you think every, it's against the kingdom. It's not you. If you're in this for you, if you're in this for blessing, if you're in this for heaven, it's going to be hell here. It just is. Because your perspective will make it that way. You see right, if there's faith, there's always grace. If there's faith, there's grace. You're saved by faith through grace. It's the, the grace brings the salvation of the Lord. And I'm not talking about going to heaven. I'm talking about saved, healed, protected, delivered, preserved, made whole, and kept safe and sound. And if there's no faith through a clear perspective, then there's no grace to save. Does this make sense? You've got to have faith. If you have a selfish mindset, are you going to be in faith or are you going to be in despair? If you're only thinking for yourself, if you don't have the big picture and interest, God's name and others in your heart. See, my life is called to be a model and a testimony and a living epistle written in the hearts of men, and so is yours. It's not just mine because I teach. It's mine because I'm in Christ. Your life is called to be a model and an example and a living epistle written in the hearts of men. Your life speaks way more than your words. A good name to be treasured way more than golds and silver and all that stuff. You want to model something. You want to reproduce something. Or we're just in this for us, trying to catch a better break, and God bless me. <laughs> yes, he's made me one with him. He's put his heart inside of me. I feel his presence. <laughs> you get it? <laughs> Come on. Uh-oh. It's just good. For no other foundation, no other, no other, no other foundation. Can anyone lay than that which is laid in Christ? Now, if anyone, now if anyone builds on this foundation, because we're called to, aren't we? With gold, silver, precious stones, look at the list, wood, hay, or straw. Remember the three little pigs story? <laughs> Gonna be some huffing and puffing, buddy. Gonna blow your house in. <laughs> Come on. That's a good little story. You can preach out of that one. Big bad devil coming to huff and puff and blow your house in. You build your life on a little self-centered desire. You lay a foundation in Christ and then you let your life continue to build on a little self-interest, little passiveness. 
He comes and knocks and says, let me in. You say, no, in the name of Jesus, you can't come into my house. <laughs> well, then I'm just going to huff and puff and put a little storm in your life. And everything you say you have, we'll see. It's fabricated. It's shallow. It'll come crashing down. And one breath of adversity, and you find what you're standing on. And then you run to your brother, try to hide in his house. <laughs> But your brother got some of the same motivations and he's not the best counselor because he'd be just as freaked out if he was in your shoes and that big bad devil comes. <laughs> hey boys, let me in. No, we're teamed up. Two's the majority. Whatever we ask the green. <laughs> well, then I'm just going to have to huff and puff. <laughs> <laughs> Preaching Jesus through the little pigs. <laughs> what are we doing, Brian? Pray for me. Pray. Intercede, dude. Come on. Why? Because it looks like they built something in that story. But it was easy. It was, it was, there was no discipline. It was the easy way. It was the accessible way. It was the... It saved time. It was the shortcut. It was, there's a story there. There is a house that stands. And the big bad wolf blew and blew and blew. Blew and blew and blew. It sounds like Matthew 7 to me. Two foolish little piggies and one wise little piggy. You know where the love of the gospel can be found in a story like that? That wise little piggy left those two in and they found shelter in his house. Hopefully learn the lesson and get their own house of bricks. Well, he didn't say, well, you guys should have built when you had a chance. Don't become coming up in my house. I'm crowded as it is. I ain't got much food anyway. He was going to get eat up by the big bad devil. <laughs> it's a wolf. But some of those little stories are more prophetic than you think if you look at them. No other, no other. There's no other. Can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is in Christ? Now, if anyone builds... On this foundation with gold, silver, precious, silver, each one's work will become clear. Come on. Do you really honor the word? Do I really honor the word? Because the word says each one's really going to come clear. Why are we passing time? Why aren't we just getting real with our heart? Why don't we face reality? Why don't we just get alone with him and open ourselves up to him? Because time is going to make it evident what we've built. And he's not just talking. I, I don't believe, I, you know, you say, well, in that day, in that day. No, in the day of adversity, in the day of trial and testing, surely in that day. But, but time is going to make it evident what's been built. True? Oh, God. Some of us, have heard and haven't done and feel like we've suffered loss. And instead of getting the right understanding and repentance and regrouping, we've just been hurt, discouraged, disappointed, and feel sorry for ourselves, and we've been overrun. God's given us, some of us, an answer. And we're still busy just muddling through the rubble. Sometimes you got to, like a bulldozer, just push it all to the side and start building again. 
Come on. I just was ready to read, and that's what I saw. There's literally, yeah, see that? No, that's the fire alarm. That's like, that's like, see, there's honestly, and I'm not being smart, there's people in this room that God's talking to right now about that. You're letting every day be built on the pain of yesterday. And God is giving you the ability to start afresh with the clear foundation and build a brand new house. And you're still going through the rubble of the last hurricane. I'm talking to a handful of folks in the room, in this room. You got to be very careful. Very careful that you don't let that happen. Okay? Now I'm looking around. I'm not looking at you. Looking into the light. Looks like God up there. <laughs> now I can't even see you, see? <laughs> There's just spots everywhere. <laughs> okay, come on. Now if anyone builds, each one's work will become what? For the day, capital D-A. So I understand what he's talking about there. The day. and These things all come to... Whoever heard the Misty Edwards song? I don't want to be offended if it's all coming down. Oh, you ought to just play that thing over and over. You know that song? I don't want to be offended if it's all coming down. God forbid on that day, I'm just here caught in offense, me, myself, and I, and what you didn't do for me when Christ gave me everything. Oh, that'd be a shallow day, wouldn't it? That'd be a sad, sorry day. I'd just sit in here frustrated and hurt with attitude when God's good pleasure was to give me the kingdom. And I couldn't see past people to receive it. <laughs> it's a pretty convicting morning. I feel really sober. <laughs> yeah, I'm sober. I didn't even drink that much this morning. Just lay there and just talk to Jesus for a little bit. <laughs> That's why I feel so sober, I guess. <laughs> and I didn't get up extra early. I actually slept in today. That's what I meant by not drinking that much today. I wake up thankful. Who wakes up thankful? Oh, I wake up thankful for the gift of life in another day. Forget the challenges, the trials, the bills that need to be paid. Come on, that's minuscule, petty. That's just natural realities of life. That has nothing to do with who you are. She ought to wake up thankful. Because there's one way greater on the inside of you that wants to get in touch with you. <laughs> Each one's day will work will become clear in that day. And, would, and the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. That's amazing. Honestly, motivation. The why behind your life. It's one of the first messages Holy Spirit ever taught me. And is this section of scripture. The first message I ever preached after being saved. I was six months old in the Lord. It was a Sunday night service. And I still remember the title. It was called Measure Your Heart. And this is the text, the scripture, Measure Your Heart, back in 95. December of 95 is my first time ever preaching, doing a service. I was six months old. That's like... And the message was measure your heart. Living out of the motivation of your heart. 
Yeah. I saw you before you were seen. You weren't there to hear the message. I got a tape for you. I can give it to you. <laughs> Think about it. Measure your heart. Motivation. Precious silver, gold, precious silver. Those are things that are what? Gold and silver and precious stones. They're things that are tested, already tested by. They endure the fire. Right? Gold, pure gold is what? It's already filtered out by fire. It's already been fireproofed and tested. Right? But wood, stubble, and straw, they'll get a good fire going. Did you catch that? No wonder some of us experience so much intense heat. There's so much to work with. Some of us build a pretty good fire. <laughs> you find a little bit of a wrong motive in your life, you got a bonfire coming, baby. And you're sitting back saying, God, why are you letting this fire eat me up? And he's saying, why are you letting it burn so bright? It's got so, you're feeding this thing. Why keep stoking it? <laughs> it's feeding on wrong motivations. It's reading, feeding on selfishness. Satan loves when people go to church and have wrong motivations. He just loves poking them, and I think he just gets off on it and enjoys it. He loves when people have a need to say things and preach things, and it's not the reality of their heart, and then he can just come pummel them in the very thing that they're preaching. Wood, stubble, and straw make a pretty serious fire, guys. <laughs> so when adversity comes, you got wood, stubble, and straw, just wrong motives. Wrong motives, misunderstanding. Now you throw a fit, now you fuss, now you pop. Now you're the children of Israel in the wilderness, and you're not Jesus in the wilderness. And no wonder it's so hot. And guess who's fueling the fire? And then we're saying, God, why are you letting this happen to me? That's what we say. Don't we? God, why are you allowing this? It's the most destructive phrase in the church. God, why are you allowing this? It's the most damaging phrase in the whole church. In my opinion, that one right there causes more damage than anything. Why are you allowing this? Because if you were really listening like that song your husband wrote, he'd say, why are you in position for it? Why are you allowing it? I've done nothing. Your mistake. God didn't administrate it or orchestrate it at all. And he's not obliged to jump in and just save you all the time. He wants to transform you and get your motive clear so the fires stop getting ignited. It's not about just snatching you out of the fire all the time. Did he stop the fire for the Hebrew boys? Did he stop it? He didn't come with a myriad of angels and dump holy water on it and douse it and say, I showed you, King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm greater than your fire. No, because he's greater than his fire, he stepped right in it and left it burn all around him and freed the boys right in the middle of it. Why? Because he gave them the great privilege of passing through their confession and that he is God and we're not with him. What is your fire to us? And then they got the great privilege to prove what they were saying was true. <laughs> he had the great honor of going through an intense heat. And now when they came out of the fire, there was no smell of smoke, nothing singed or burned. But guess what was 
burning even brighter. The faith in their heart, the confidence in who God was. And what they said they believed before they went in, they knew they believed when they came out. <laughs> so if there was anything, it's increased passion and intensity and, Whoa, God, He's the only God. You know, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? <laughs> See, some of these things, we just turn them into kids' Bible stories or something. They're the stories of our lives. <laughs> That's why I'm as flaky as I am. Because it's not a philosophy. It's not a doctrine. It's not a theory. I'm not just hinging on doctrine. He's Lord over the fire. <laughs> he really is Lord. Ah. See, I don't get it, brother. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Just hang in there. We might get it. <laughs> But he really is Lord. You get it? <laughs> Sorry. My girl's on the front. I have fun with you girls. <laughs> they laugh. They cry. They do that whole thing. <laughs> They're fun to watch. I do have the best seat in the house, by the way. You see a lot from up here. What's he saying? You do, you see a lot. All things will be revealed by fire. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. That means there can be different motivations and different reasons for men doing what they do. But on the outward, it all looks like they're building on the foundation. You follow? But what sort it is, that means there's a variation of reasons men do what they do, say what they say, are who they are. Fire will reveal that real quick. Don't you think Satan knows this stuff, guys? Don't you think that Satan knows if he puts a little pressure on somebody and squeezes them hard, he'll find out what's inside? Don't you think by now he's willing to take that risk because most of the time he doesn't find gold and precious silver? Most of the time he finds despair, discouragement, complaining, frustration, and backslidden after a while with justification. <laughs> well, I tried that, brother. Well, I prayed and I read and then all hell broke and God didn't protect me and I went through. So what's the use? I don't even want to go to church because it never worked for me anyway. You see who you did it for? <laughs> he didn't understand. So let's push the rubble away and let's build something new that'll stand. Good word? Yeah. Oh, that's a real good word. If anyone's work is burned, well, uh, look, let's jump in. The, let's, let's hit the silver and precious. Of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, well, then there's reward. That's legacy. That's a selfless life that speaks for eternity. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as though through fire. It's an amazing phrase. Now there's some people that say, oh well, what's the big deal? At least I'm still saved. Who cares if everything burns up? If you're saying that, you would have to question if you're saved because you don't even care. I don't mind saying that with the camera running. God didn't write that to give you a cop-out of lethargicism and 
say whatever, who cares what I build. If you were selfless, you would, it would matter what you build. If you're selfish, you don't care. And if you didn't deny yourself, then you have to question all that other stuff. Come on, God's not writing this to give you a choice. He's making a point that he's merciful and he's amazing. And even if you get crossed over and you let things falsely motivate you and you don't grow up in areas, you at least you've laid a foundation. But if you read that, like I have a friend that told me his church, the people in his church say, oh, what's the big deal? And he said, they live just like the world. And they say, you know, uh, it's that thing Martha and I talk about in the beginning of school, carnal Christians. They say, oh, well, we're just carnal Christians. We, you know, we're just, we just, at least we know we're saved. It's going to be through fire, but at least we'll be in. That's not a Christian at all. If you use this for a cop-out, if you use that and in your heart say, well, what's the big deal? At least I'll still be saved and you probably ought to get saved, is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay? Is it all right if I talk that plain? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Because of verse 16. I didn't even realize it was coming. I just looked down and thought, oops, I wasn't even going to, I was done. I was going to quit. But look at verse 16. Six. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So you probably ought to care. <laughs> You're not your own temple. You're the temple of God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. That's amazing. That means if anyone just lives his life for himself and defiles the use of his temple, the created value in which he was created, and sees the truth and ignores it, time will tell. It doesn't mean right now God's looking going, bzz, bzz, bzz. it says in that day when the chips fall. For the temple of God is holy, and that's who you are. Isn't that cool? <laughs> then he says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, get a new grip. <laughs> that's really what he's saying. <laughs> I just love the gospel. We value our opinions so much and how we feel because we're still thinking for ourselves. Isn't it funny? Like my whole life, I valued my opinion and didn't even like who I was. It's so weird. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God and is written, he will catch the wise in their own craftiness. So there's a truth coming and God's revealing some stuff. Amen? We don't have to go anymore there, but I just wanted you to see that there's a foundation laid and there's something built. And your motivation determines legacy. True? True. It's break time. It really is. <laughs> I can get you a question then and if you still have it. If I, when we come back. Why don't you guys take a break? Yay! Absolutely not, Donna. But no, it's break and I'm mean, off the clock. Really bad, but <laughs> no, I'm, I'm teasing you I'm teasing you anyway. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, see, you, yeah, you lost the faith, sister. First <laughs> yeah. Corinthians 13. Let's, let's, let's try to wrap this up quick. I'm going to go into some serious stuff. I want you to stay with me. It's confrontive. It's challenging. It's going to stretch you. Please stay engaged, okay? 
It's not just, it, 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 some of it even will seem redundant a little, but I'll tell you what, how easy is it to slip in to the same old way of thinking? How easy is it to slip into just thinking for yourself, hearing for yourself and all that stuff? We, we almost talk like discouragement is expected in people. And I would wish you'd see it as an enemy. It is not the way of God. If God was discouraged, he would have no hope. And he's the God of all hope. And he sees everything all the time. Before Fox 43 News broadcasted, he already saw it. Right? And is he in despair and discouraged? Discouragement is not normal. In fact, in fact, the Bible would teach you, if you look in Hebrews 12, 3, that discouragement comes from considering yourself. That if you're discouraged, it's because your eyes are turned inward and you're thinking for yourself. Would only make sense. Where else would discouragement come from? You're, you're looking at how things are affecting you. When your whole purpose should be how are things affecting God and the kingdom and others, and you want to live in a manner that is profitable in that direction. So no matter how hard the hit is you're taking, your response should be edifying to the whole, encouraging to the whole. When Paul's in chains and he says it's for your glory, it's because he hasn't lost his disposition, he hasn't lost his worship, he hasn't lost his zeal and his love for God just because he's in chains. He's getting the opportunity to live what he's preaching. And he's not saying, oh, here we go again. His flesh might, he might think, oh, it's not what you're in. You're not asking for that. But when it comes, his perspective's so clear that he said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. And then he goes and shares that, look, I haven't always had enough. I haven't always been full. Now, our circles today would tell Paul he needs to spruce up on his faith and get a little closer to God, because if he was a little closer to God and in faith, he would have plenty. And then we just judge one another with faith, and faith becomes a curse instead of a blessing and hardship to people, and we don't even like the word. And yet it's impossible to please God without it and to just live by faith. But we've, Satan is very strategic in how he represents and misrepresents things. And all of a sudden, faith, you start talking about faith, and people's hackles come up. Hey, you got barnyard bannies everywhere, baby. They're gonna run you right out of the yard. Serious? Don't you tell me I didn't have faith. I'm serious. Because it's been so misrepresented. We feel like, you know, when somebody's in a trial, well, you had to open the door. And we're missing Matthew 7 to the wise man, the same exact storm comes as the foolish man. And he's wise. The whole time, Vicky, he's wise. And the storm's still there, and he's wise the whole time. It doesn't say he did anything wrong. It's coming, the trial's coming to wreck what's built. It doesn't want the revelation. It doesn't want what's built. We've made it personal. And if you're going through something, you have to be the cause Sometimes you're just getting tried. Ah, 1 Corinthians 13 is going to have to wait. 1 Peter 1. No, it's good. You see how we get talking and there's always a scripture to go to? Yeah, it's school. 
But what, what I'm saying is, I'm not boasting in myself. What I'm saying is, you want to get so filled with the Word that the Word answers every question in your heart. Come on. Do you see how there's just always somewhere to go? And I don't have notes up here, right? Just been in this book. This book. I've been camping out in this book. So as I'm talking and the subject comes, the question's answered because I have answers all in my heart. I've filled my heart with the Word. If we don't fill our heart with the Word, then you're subject to your own mind answering the questions. And you're reduced to the way that seems right to a man. Or at best, call a friend and ask their opinion. And I've learned that we don't give the best counsel to one another. Sometimes we talk out of our own pain and confusion and frustration. And we tell people what we would do instead of what WWJD, <laughs> what Jesus would do. <laughs> I tried to cover this and got way sidetracked last week or something, so here we are now. I think we tried. I don't know. I preach. I'm at places preaching. I preach on the phone. I'm at school. I don't know where I said this. I said it somewhere. But this is good news. I have verses 3, 1 Peter 1, 3, 4, and 5. I have rainbowed. The whole thing is in rainbow. Because it's the promise of eternal life and living bigger than today and having a picture bigger than just what you're going through and knowing that heaven's reserved for you and you're being kept by the power of God to a salvation ready to be revealed. And what we're to be, we really don't know, but we know this, when we see him, we will be like him. I take that personal into today. The more I see him now, the more I'll be like him now. But we know in that day, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. <gasps> and this corruptible will put on incorruptible. This mortal will put on immortality. And I will be swallowed up by him. <laughs> it's a good day, okay? So I have the whole thing rainbowed, man. I'm pumped. See, this stuff, you just got to camp there. I've been saying it for a whole week, this whole week, and I'm not being sarcastic when I'm saying it. You got to turn everything off that's winning your attention, your heart, your mind, long enough to get established in truth. Some people aren't ready to have everything turned on because it's keeping them from ever knowing, learning and understanding because you're just too occupied to get established in what's eternal. How's that for just good, strong fathering? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to His abundant mercy has birthed us again. <laughs> into, begotten us again, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we get born again. What caused it? The mercy of God. He loves us. He knows who we are. He knows what we're destined for. I don't care how much you argue. He knows the truth about you. <laughs> You're worth the blood. Amen. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. For salvation. So you have to keep your eyes on that truth. Faith. That's where when, when everything's going wrong, that's not when you need to question and challenge faith. That's when you better have faith. Come on. It takes faith. When you have sickness in your body and you prayed all the right scriptures and the sickness is still in your body, you better have faith now. Because if you don't, you're going to let go and take the sickness personal and question God and the things that are eternal, you're going to make subject to change when they don't. 
And the lack of faith is going to subpoena God and He'll be on trial again. And now His word ain't true because of your experience. Come on. We're so busy saying faith is needed for the healing. I'll tell you when faith is needed, when things ain't happening that you think is supposed to happen. Well, you better have faith and trust Him now. You better let God's Word be bigger than your feelings and opinion and scenario. You better have a higher integrity for God than you do for yourself or you're stumbled right now. And if you're in this for what He can do for you, you're going to fall flat on your face. You're in this for how He makes you more like Him. Because if it's just what He can do for you, you're a sitting duck. Adversity will come time and time again to derail you. And then in, in technique and principle, you're going to apply promises to your life to prove God and in that disprove Him if things don't change. And then you subvert relationship and faith that works through love and knowing Him. And now from an impersonal way, you're applying God to your life instead of Him becoming your life. And you're left stranded in your own soul. <laughs> Are you guys getting this? You just kind of all look at me at times. That's kind of how everybody... Patty, did you raise your hand? I was, uh, he's getting the mic for you. I was going to repeat it, but that's fine. Thanks, little buddy. What's your shirt say? Dude, dogs rule. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> okay, okay. Hey, little buddy, you are surely the kingdom. It's nigh you. <laughs> Go ahead. I think I forgot what I was going to say. No, wait, no, wait. Look, Vicky. In my Bible. It's a kitty cat Bible. <laughs> it's in my Bible. I'm taking it home. Go ahead. I love cats. I, lo I love cats. You do? I love cats. <laughs> okay, I don't. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> I love dogs. The class is divided. <laughs> there is division among us. Schisms and division. Are you not carnal when there's divisions and schisms among you? <laughs> Go ahead. No, it's, it's just share your question. <laughs> your shirt messed me up, dude. I looked, I went... Dogs rule. <laughs> I thought Jesus ruled. He got dog now. <laughs> Go ahead. You were saying just a, a bit ago about if you have a sickness in your body after you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you better have faith. Well, I'm going to say maybe four or five years ago, Terry was diagnosed. He has an aorta aneurysm. And they, he was supposed to be on the operating table. August that year, and they said they didn't know if he'd make it off the table because he's already had open heart surgery. Okay. He's had triple bypass. And he has diabetes to go along with all, everything else, and all the scarring and all that. Well, I, myself, I was n not good with that. I was not at a place where he was going to be operated on. Okay. Because I just, something in me said, you need to go further with this. Just don't go on that operating table, because it was all about. It was the size of it was about five, I guess, millimeters. That's where they start operating. 
And someone in a small person, they would have all operated a long time ago. Anyhow, I wanted a second opinion, so he went to another doctor down in Hershey. And he said, you know, we do things different than Hanover. Um, We're going to do it a little bit different. We're going to put a scope down you, blah, blah, blah. Well, this is where I'm going with the faith. At that time, I don't know if Terry had as, as much as I did, but Something in me told me when he goes back, I mean, people had prayed for him, and we prayed, and you know, sometimes you know that you know that you know. And I, that was one of the times that in my heart, I knew that I knew that I knew that when he came in to give us the diagnosis, that aneurysm was going to be gone. So I'm in there, you know, I'm like, I don't care. You know, I'm sitting there. I mean, I was pumped. It's going to be gone. That's, I think it's the most faith I ever had in my life. And the doctor comes in and he says, well, he says, I got good news and I got bad news. The bad news is you have an aneurysm. Well, my heart, I mean, I think it dropped to my feet. Because I'm like, no way. But the good news is we aren't going to operate. We're just going to keep an eye on this thing to see where it goes. I mean, so it's still there. But it hasn't grown. But, you know, after that, I walked out of that place, and people were emailing me from everywhere, you know, that they were praying, and they wanted to know that day what happened. You know, I couldn't speak to anybody. My faith, I mean, I just went, boom, because, I mean, I just had so much faith that God had healed him, and it didn't happen. So I don't know how to deal with that type of thing, you know, okay. when you're nice. at that place where you have Excellent comment. that much faith, and it's... We're okay. It's like okay. I don't. You're gonna have to really love me in my answer because I answer questions. Okay. So the worst you can do is stone me, crucify me, hate me, revert, draw back to the flesh, (laughs) step out of your salvation. I have the mic. Verse. (laughs) Don't throw it. You got the soul is a very a powerful thing. The soul, the feelings, the emotion of man. Uh. There's a lot. Go to Matthew 17, 20, and I'm going to answer this real quick. I can't, this is a, you're opening a big door for me, but I got to address this question. Here's how you get over it. You honor the word of God above everything. Okay? Did you hear my simple answer? Matthew 17, verse 20. Especially you got a loved one. You gotta, I've watched mothers. They have children. You want them healed so bad that you take on a... A place where I just know it's, I just know it's, I just know it. And it's just, and it's like, because you love your husband. You don't want him in a place. So I know we're calling it faith. I just had so much faith. I just had so much faith. And, and that's where it's tough to, to talk to people in hard situations, personal situations, especially if you don't know them. Because our language is, but we believed or we had faith. Well, the Bible says when we believe, we receive. Now, that's not my sermon. So here's where faith, this is why it takes faith, because with everything you feel, I believed. I don't know how I could believe any more than what I felt like I believed. But yet he still, nothing changed. Watch this. Jesus says, because of your unbelief, assuredly, uh, to their question, why couldn't we cast out the epilepsy? Because of your unbelief. Assuredly, truly. This is Jesus talking. This is our king. This is red letters. This is not my sermon, so throw the mic at Jesus. No, don't throw the mic at Jesus. 
I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will... What's the mountain do? And nothing will be impossible for you. So faith moves the mountain. The evidence of faith is not speaking to it or proclaiming belief. The evidence of faith, according to the Bible, is the mountain moving. Stay humble with me, everybody. Because we take things more personal than we realize. And we don't want a loved one to die, so we're praying hard. And we don't realize how hard we're praying, and we're praying harder than we're actually believing. We think it's our works. We think it's how hard we pray. I mean, we're... We just get in this because we love people. Now watch. The Bible says faith moves the mountain. That if you have faith, the mountain will what? You put yourself, Patty, in a very precarious place emotionally when you say, but I have faith. I understand what you're saying when you say that. There is times where in my heart I'm feeling like I just know it's going to happen. And I didn't see it happen. Believe me, I, I live this thing. I've had some serious situations in my arms. And I've been in the middle of a lot of serious stuff. And every time that happens to me, I say, Father, I understand that faith moves the mountain. I feel like I'm believing. It seems like I'm believing. And, and I actually felt in my emotions surprised when I got that phone call. And I thank you for working your kingdom in me. Because I know, God, if Jesus touches that situation, it's changed. And Christ, you're in me, and I honor you, and I worship you, and I submit my feelings to the honor of who God is and the integrity of who God is. And I lift his word way above what I'm sure I was doing and feel. Because I honor the word. If he magnified his word above his name, then I have to magnify his word above what I'm sure of, what I feel, what I seem to think, what I... So, or you're just set up for the rug pulled out from under you. Are you following what I'm saying? That's why I say it takes faith. When, when you get that report and it's still... Have, that's where faith really comes in. Because now here's the deal. Do I really believe God? Do I really trust his word? And do I really believe that he's working a good thing in us and is for us, et cetera, et cetera? Or face value, wow, well, I did it and I was in the groove and I was on faith and for some reason God didn't pull through is what you're left with. And now how can you ever be intimate with him again until that's resolved? How can you ever just love him and respect him again? It's that twist. It gets to be where, not being mean, it's a subtle thing. It's that twist to where I need you rather than I love you. Because if I don't get what I need most for, from you, for my husband who I love so much, then all of a sudden God's in limbo when God is who we love more than anything. Like your husband's a gift. Do you understand that? He's a gift. If God wasn't God, you wouldn't have your husband. God, we wouldn't even be here. So we never covet the gift of God at the cost of who God is. So your empathy, your sentimental value, your human value towards your husband can never get in the way of the position of who God is. This is the tragedy when people lose a loved one, they get mad at God. 
They're coveting the blessing of life above the giver of life. And when life doesn't seem blessed, just cut off the one because it's not blessed anyway. And then you're reduced to thinking for who? Again, it's just back to the self thing. See, Satan believes none of us love God. He believes we all love ourselves and the things around us more than God and that we use God to keep things straight. That's what, that's what Satan himself believes. So that's what I mean, Patty, by this. You have to wrap faith around that experience and say, God, in all things give thanks, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing all things. Not get shook in your faith. Father, with all my heart, I felt like that was happening. And when that, man, when, that, when I got that report, you know what I felt. I was like, poof, rock bottom. I couldn't even speak. God, but I thank you. We haven't had a surgery Here's my husband. I hold him every day. We go to bed every night. And I thank you that you are working a good thing. And God, grow me in faith because I want to be in a place where I'm believing and mountains are moving. And that aneurysm is nothing in the light of you. I put my honor in you. Father me, mature me, and grow me up. It feels like I have faith, but I believe you're growing me into a revelation that when I touch, it's as if Jesus touched. I honor you above how I feel. Yeah, give the mic to Brian back there for a minute. I just know you're not second best or anything. It's just, no, it's, it has to do with directly. There's something. I just feel I'm supposed to give it to you, and then I'm coming back. No, what, what I was going to say was God was speaking to me about this very thing last week, and, and he convicted me of this. At some time, I live in expectation of him, and expectation says I'm waiting, and faith says it's already done. And if I live in expectation... I have a, a certificate of divorce in my hand ready to say I want nothing because you didn't come through the way I thought you were going to rather than understanding that it is finished and, 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 that's, and that everything I do is in response already to what he, he did first. It's a faith thing, but if, I think where we get deceived is the difference between expectation and faith. Right. Now so, I'm following what you're yeah. saying. Does that make sense? Here's the key. The way, and I talk real plain about this stuff, the way you felt when you got that report, and watch, we all, all of us, understand that response. But here's the trap. Most of us expect it and call it normal. And what it does, it reduces us to our own well-being. We're motivated for our own well-being, and as soon as our own well-being isn't fulfilled, we're shook, which reduces us to I'm really praying for our sake, and we forget we're living for his name's sake. So the integrity towards his name doesn't fall apart there. It presses in more. It honors more. It seeks more. Are you following what I'm saying? I'm not correcting you in a bad... I understand. Yeah, but it's still, it's still, you can't, you know, it's still, look at you. The tears. and it, it's No, watch. It's still trying to mystify you, though. It's still trying to hold you captive. It's still trying to get you to where you're afraid to even hope again, let alone believe if you're not careful, and feel like, well, I already was and God didn't. It, it, it tries to mark you. It tries to scar you. It tries to bruise you spiritually and soulically to where you carry that thing, and years later, you can't even talk about it without reliving it, which means you're still living in a failed expectation is what Brian's saying. 
Faith, that's where you need faith. When those feelings are relevant, faith lifts you back up and gets your eyes on the truth of who He is and continues to grow. How many people do you think I have lost, contended for, prayed for, and I've lost them, and it should drive us to God if we're selfless? Because I'm in this to win. It's not about losing. So if I lose a loved one and contend and pray, it's not about, well, yeah, but we prayed and prayed and prayed. Why didn't God? How? That, that's a trap. Satan loves that language. And man understands that language. But we need to get it out of our thinking. Like, I'm just talking, I'm not correcting Patty openly. What you just expressed, we all understand. But the unfortunate thing is we all make it permissible. We expect that feeling. But we're preaching faith. And not, well, if you'd have faith, honey, your husband would have been healed. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you and your, me and my heart, if I'm reading Matthew 17, and I could show you probably four other quick promises that are just as unlimited. Right? Humility says, God, just keep growing me. But thanks for my husband. Thanks that he's here. And, and that aneurysm. And then all the more reason to attack that thing and speak that thing to be no more, and thank you, God, for victory, not loss. You've been holding on to what feels like loss, and you've gained your husband, and no surgery, and there's a lot of things to be thankful for that you're missing over the one detail of, but I was so sure, but I was in faith. I encourage people not to say, but I believed, when you didn't get the answer. Because then what you're saying is God's word isn't true. Subconsciously, you're saying God's word can't be taken literally and he's not faithful. You don't even realize you're saying it. When you're saying, but I did believe, and God says when you believe, the mountain moves, but the mountain didn't move, and you assist, but I believed, that's a scary place because what you're saying is God's not faithful. So you just don't, you're not meaning that in your heart. It's not an evil intention. It's more of a subconscious statement. You see what I'm saying? So because I understand the word now, in that sense, when I pray for a little child, who knows it's not hard to want that little child to live? Who's, who knows when you're handed a little tiny baby and it's not hard to get your heart engaged? True? But is that the guarantee that everybody, you know, you'd be amazed how many emotions are involved, empathies, sympathies, human feelings, sentiments. Especially with loved ones. I've seen loved ones go 10 extra miles standing for their loved one in what we call faith. But don't see the breakthrough and then they're crushed and devastated and some never seem to get up. Which means the motivation wasn't the promoting of the kingdom. It was rescue and us and help and it's letdown and disappointment. And that's what Brian was trying to share by the expectation versus faith. And you have to make sure your motive is crystal clean and clear. You get it? I'm not using the gospel to just rescue my loved one. I'm becoming Christ-like and standing in the face of adversity and advancing the kingdom. I'm not praying because there's trouble. I recognize what it is through light, through the word, and I'm responding in God's heart. It's a whole different position than what Christians live. Christians go, <gasps> pray. What? Pray. Oh my God, pray. We're forced into that all the time. We're always on the run. We're always a step behind. 
Trouble drives us. Trouble drives us. Trouble drives us. And then we're praying all the right stuff and printing out more material and promises and blessings and healing. And we're quoting, 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 confessing. <gasps> but I did all that. And I didn't. Do... <laughs> now we're disappointed and discouraged. Trouble driving us. That's what happens. And you turn the gospel into a method by which we get help. And now we're disappointed in that method. And we can never grow close to intimacy with God. Does that make sense? It, it does. Uh, I guess I just, I don't get scripture. And maybe I just don't understand. Maybe you have big and small connections. You know, not much. You know, just teaching the Bible. Right. Faith is a revelation. I understand. I need that. I guess I don't understand. Well, I've had people say, watch what they're doing. You're not doing it from your heart. You're just asking a very sincere question. Oh, it's so sincere. It's beautiful. I'm honoring your sincerity. I've heard people without that sincerity literally say, I had a question asked one time preaching. Oh, come on, Dan. That's how the question came across. All I'm doing is reading God's word. It's not my doctrine, right? I'm just called to believe it. Oh, come on, Dan. It only takes a mustard seed. You're trying to say the whole church is praying for them and nobody comes up with a mustard seed? That's exactly what the word's saying. What the word's saying is that there's a deep down motivation that has nothing to do with God's love. It just has to do with us wanting the best. Of course we don't want them to die. You can get your soul in such a place, in such a position where you're in your conscience and in your soul, you're just so sure it's going to happen. And the motivation might not be anything to do with the finished work of Christ, the legality of it, the conquering of darkness, hell, and sin. It might just be because you have desperate need and you sure don't want to lose that person. So you set your heart emotionally on a promise and you're just sure it's going to happen. Yes, God, I know you're going to pull through. I have seen countless spouses do that for spouses that are so sure they're in faith and they don't even read their Bible. They just say, I hear people that don't even go to church talk like that when their spouse is in ICU. It's very dangerous language. I go into ICU and there's families, they don't even attend a church regular. They're, 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 they're not living Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying they don't believe in God. They're not living Christ. But when, they're, when their sons and I see you, they're talking spiritual and you look in their eyes and you're like, wow. Because they're, they're saying everything right. Well, I just know God's going to pull through. Well, they're going to be fine. Nope, they're going to be. Nope, there's no way they're going to. And they're saying all the right things because I know God loves my boy and, and, I, and I've been asking God and, they're going to be fine. And they're saying all this right stuff. And then after a while, if you find out they're not fine, I'm not thinking of anything specific right now. I just know what that does. I've seen that countless times. It's a language we embrace because it's a high hope where we want it so bad because that's where our love is. And a lot of times it's soul. It's your feelings. Because it's what you want so bad, you can't see anything else. You block any other picture out. You block anything out. I am not accepting the death of my husband. My husband is not going to die on the operating table. And all of a sudden, you're just you're not losing your husband. And it's a good village wife that loves her honey for sure. Some wives would be like, "Yeah, sure. When can we do this tomorrow morning?" <laughs> 
<laughs> so God bless you for that. But, but you have to be very careful that you're not demeaning the word and raising our feelings and human wisdom above what this Bible says. Because here's the deal. If Jesus Christ says assuredly or truly, which means I'm telling you the truth. If you have faith, the mountain moves. We need to learn to live with that and stop fighting over it and getting hurt over it. If Jesus says that, there's a place for me to grow into to where I speak, the mountain moves. When my motivation is one with the heart of God, and I'm not just trying... You'd be amazed how people are just trying to get miracles. They're just going after miracles. They're striving. They'll get so frustrated in time because of the losses, and it eats them alive. But they're just trying to get the supernatural. No, get perfected in Christ. Get formed in love and let Him flow out of us. So that the why behind praying isn't because we're afraid our husband's going to die. The why behind praying is the profuse, unstoppable, unfailing, immeasurable love of God that was manifest through Christ. There's a difference between the two. There just is. So the humble response is, God, keep growing me, fathering me. Keep leading me because your word says there's a way. And then continue. Then we speak to that aneurysm. Bam. And you thank God that you have your honey. Does it make sense, Adam? Um, in the Bible it says, I, I don't remember how many times, maybe seven or eight times it says, and all were healed. Um, <clears throat> I know just as a pastor, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a, um, you know, there's, there's six or seven people in my congregation I really, um, we, we continually pray for. And, and that's what I just, like just what you said there, it's a right. mustard seed faith. When I don't see it happen, I think to myself, not not like discouraging. I say, "Wow, I'm not. It's not even there yet." You, right. You know what right I mean? now, it's and a so, place to grow. <clears throat> well, how can, on a massive movement though, it seems like we we believe, that, we do believe. You know what I mean? But there's still the not only are all the, are all not being healed, but even significant people with physical problems aren't being healed. Right. You know what I mean? So how do you change a a mindset of people just around that. To you, you keep preaching truth. It's up to Holy Spirit because here's what the weakness of humanity tends to do. When, when we read the book, we get zealous and we go after what the book says and when it doesn't pan out the way the book says, we come up with the reason why and we paint another picture. That's why we say, remember yesterday how intense I got and that thing came over me where I said, no one has seen God at any time. Yet the Son of God who's in the bosom of the Father, has declared him. I said, well, we say, well, not everybody's healed. Well, you, 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 you show me that through Jesus. That is not what he declared. But it's our experience. And then our mind has a lot to say and our heart responds a lot because it's not our experience. But God says no one has seen God at any time. But then the tragedy is we say when somebody's not healed that it was God, but that's not what Jesus declared. So he's declared him. So you can't tell me that through Jesus. You show me where Jesus declared that God doesn't heal everyone. He declared the total opposite. And no one has seen God at any time. So all the things we say about God apart from Jesus are made up through human wisdom. It's our circumstance being our teacher. It's life being our experience, being our teacher instead of God's word, who was Jesus. So we let a lot of things teach us, and Christ is the teacher. Call no man on earth your teacher. You have one. He's the Christ. Don't let life teach you. Don't let circumstances teach you. 
Don't let human wisdom teach you. Don't let rational intellectual idealism teach you. Do not be conformed to the world. If you're in Christ, set your mind in heaven where Christ is not on earth. You died. It's not about you. Your life's in Christ. That's why I, I can't get frustrated anymore. It's impossible in Christ to just pray for my wife and not see it happen and lose her early and then shipwreck God. I, I, that would mean I had some other motive than His name, His kingdom, and eternal life. So now I'm just taking loss in the face and it's quenched me. And I'm not seeing a bigger picture than right now. So now I'm just a hurting husband because, hey, I preached this thing. I've watched other people's wives healed. You think you could have saved mine? What? I couldn't have done anything wrong. Come on. I've seen that disease healed four times. She died of the same disease. You can't tell me I didn't have faith. That's what we justify. And our anger reveals that we're taking that thing way more personal than who we really are in Christ and why we're saved. We're not saved for the blessing of the day. We're saved to write a legacy to make history, to live for His glory. We're saved to reveal the integrity of the heart of God in love. And that's why God said through Jesus that in the New Testament that we're to love God like God loves us. That's agape love. He uses the word agape, church. In the New Testament, we're to agape God like God agapes us. That means a love that believes the best, not the worst. Come on, if God came and loved us any other way, we'd be in big trouble. There's times He gives you so the benefit of the doubt. There's times you're wrong and He makes you right through Christ. What He's saying is when it appears like I'm wrong, when it appears like I've made a mistake, when it appears like I haven't answered, when it appears like I haven't moved, keep me in right perspective and know that I'm good and know that I change not. So I, I, I used to... I, I see you. I used to, sorry, I just didn't want you to think you had it. I, I, I used to be in my home group when we, I first got saved, and people would look at me weird. I share it a lot. I used to get on the carpet and teach from my knees a lot. I get so passionate. I can't imagine me passionate, I know. But it was just happened to be that way from the beginning. I'm not even saying nine months, a year, year and a half. And I'd be on the chair, and I'm leaning, and we're all in the room, and, and I'd get down on my knees. You've been there probably before. You, I'd get on my knees in the carpet, and, and I'd just start preaching. But I remember going through the season where God was trying to uh, multiply a perspective in people's lives. And I would start crying. And I'd say, I'd, look, I'd point right to my wife. You t I'd be crying. You take her from me. You take these kids from me. You burn down this house and rip the clothes off my back. You can't touch me now. I would just be bawling. People were looking at me like, what? Whoa. No. And they didn't understand. We're so coveting. We're so in this for our little bubble. We're so in God for our little family protection system. His, our home security. That if a crisis ever would come, God forbid, we are toast because we don't understand why we're here. What about integrity when you do lose a child? There's people that have lost children. How do you cheer them on if you don't understand what I'm saying? The best you can do is sympathize with them and the pain's never gone. But wonder if you have a bigger view and there is no long-term pain that subverts your ability to live. Because you have faith in the lost faith of a way bigger picture. 
And you thank God that you brought a living soul that will live forever in him. And that if it wasn't for the blood, they'd be lost and I would too. And thank you, you set the record straight or trauma would have ate my lunch like it has so many. And I am so encouraged to keep running after you, God. Thanks for embracing my child forever and I'll be there soon. See, we don't understand that. That's a way deeper way than we're thinking. We're thinking God just securing our little bubble. <laughs> I used to preach that in the home group tears pouring down my face people looking at me freaked out by what I'm saying not understanding come on everything hasn't gone my way since I've been saved like it hasn't gone your way even sometimes your own family doesn't understand your heart or your life and sometimes they want to do things opposite than your desire it doesn't change a thing it's no reason for discouragement it's no reason to get selfish it's no reason to complain it's all the more reason to manifest what you say you believe. Because honestly, you lose a child early, that's where the rubber meets the road. Let's see how integral we are now. Let's see how faith-filled we are now. Let's see how much diligence we have now. wonder if Satan learns that that's what crushes us and all of a sudden all these tragedies are coming and he's playing on our motives and the things we don't understand. And wonder if our lack of knowledge is destroying us. Wonder if he's taking cheap shots and we've opened those doors. It's hard to preach that way because then we get condemned and say, Oh, it's all my fault. So he's saying, It's my fault my daughter died. And now we've, we're so self-centered that we can't even preach truth because even truth now. Now you can't even say things because people are hurt, condemned, judged, regretful. <laughs> Instead of transformed. I promise you the enemy loves to block us and box us into a belief system that it makes it hard to preach the truth because we can't hear it. Go ahead, Jenny. I'm sorry. Thanks for being patient. It just rolls right in. And I know this is Holy Spirit because I just got this download. Elijah was a great flaming, burning testimony. He had an encounter with the spirit Jezebel, but it's really just an, an enemy thing. We give that too much credit. But he did get into a place of discouragement, and he was freaking out, and he said, God, just kill me. Take me home. And there's no evidence that he really ever um, turned from that statement, okay? And it, it just came upon me like he was in such a place of discouragement, okay? Right. And what happened was God honored you reap what you sow and took him. But he still had that mantle. That's the, you're, that's There's today. no indication that Elijah's journey was up. I heard an amazing sermon once, uh, avoiding learning from the mistakes of Eli or the mistake of Elijah. And it wasn't to demean Elijah. He's, no. he's named. My goodness, you're not dishonoring. But we learn. Right. The Old Testament is pointing to what's to come. So if we do look back to the old, it should be to glean and to learn and to grow and right. not make the same mistakes. Well, there's a, self, there's a self connotation there that comes. If you look at the story, the victory, national revival, all the Baal gods beheaded. I mean, come on, that's an incredible, crazy victory. Mm -hmm. Wet down the altar and the sacrifice with water and God's fire comes and licks everything up and consumes it in an instant. And yoo-hoo, and you got this instant move of God. And now everything that was backslidden is alive again and all this good stuff and all the false prophets killed. And then one lady... One lady gets in his face and says, boom. 
And then, and he starts thinking they're killing all the prophets. And, gonna, and because of expectation, right? Watch. Expectation. That was a good word. Uh, you can only imagine. Uh, you can only imagine. And it's not to do injustice to the word. I'm not preaching this as doctrine. You can only imagine what must go through somebody's head when God moves as dramatic as he did on Mount Carmel. And yet this lady still seems to be in position and it keeps on coming. Because we paint pictures. We think if God heals the person in Walmart, everybody's saved. We think if God gets this person out with a whole family, and sometimes it just doesn't work that way. Even though somebody gets healed, people don't respond the way we're thinking. So you can only imagine, see, because there's a message here to learn. It's good that you brought this up in this sense, that the, the, the devil, here's what the devil, he's an intimidator. And, and, and it looks like Elijah has great victory, but the devil's an intimidator, and he's right back in the face of Elijah saying, you haven't moved me at all. And I'm coming for you. It was one comment. The gods do to me or more so. I will have your head tomorrow, etc., etc. I will do the same to you, etc. He goes, and he runs. And he's saying, basically, I can't take anymore. Right? Probably God honored that in the sense of gave away his mantle. Probably could have, probably was more to do. Thank God it fell on Elisha. I'm not saying, that's all just imagining. So he said, look, there's people right over this hill haven't bowed their knee, etc., etc. Uh, took over one little vineyard and whatever. And he did a couple little things after that and then he was done. Go ahead. I feel like this is Holy Spirit. It's like he got into the discouragement. He was taken. The mantle fell. God had to remain moving on what he was doing. That mantle just represents that. Right. Came on a, uh, I'm going to go straight to Malachi where it's it says... The will and purpose of God is what she's saying. In other words, going. it has nothing to do with the individual. Right. Elijah was a man anointed by God. There was a mantle on him. Discouragement dismantled him. And that same purpose came on another man that was willing and ready is what she's saying. Watch this. I agree with that. In Malachi, it says the spirit of Elijah turns the fathers or the parent, the fathers to the children and children to the fathers. That's the mantle. That's what, that's what God's been trying to establish and keep going right. through that. Okay. And here you are talking about integrity and the Holy Ghost just went bloom and breathed on that. And I got this. It's like, okay, it's not just us. Okay. Get this. All right. The legacy is if we're discouraged and, and we have blown this thing and we need to repent and pick this thing up and really go after faith and love and moving in love with God in faith, our kids, it's about the next generation. Right. You're living for another generation. Okay. It's not, it's not die to us. Well, so selfishness won't live for another generation. Selfishness will live for itself. But the truth is we're living for generations to come. So they can run in faith totally. and love and keep... That's we are called to understand that. We're called. That's what selflessness does. So you can only imagine Elisha has this incredible move and has expectation. Jezebel gets in his face as if there was no great victory. And undermines the victory. So then, instead, because you would think in your mind, after we hear the whole story, you would think you'd have turned to her and said, what? You're kidding, right? God is God. Who do you think you are? The fire is going to come upon you if you don't repent, etc. You think he would have stood after that great victory on Mount Carmel, just turned and made some decree, and God would have just opened the heavens. Instead, he's like, huh? And he runs. 
And he's feeling sorry for himself. All the prophets are done. I'm the only one. Do you hear his language? Mm -hmm. Do you hear what got into his mind? Even this great victory of Mount Carmel hasn't changed anything, God. It looked great on the outside, but she's still just as wicked and still wants to kill me. So all of a sudden, I'm the only one. He comes and says, man, it's not like you're feeling and thinking right now. Right over that mountain, there's a whole bunch of thousands of folks that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. I got him reserved for me, Elisha. But he told him to do whatever little assignment he gave. Go anoint some king and go do something else and then pass the mantle to Elisha. Pass it. Pass it. We're privileged to carry callings and mantles. It's not about the individual. It's about the God that's amazing. <gasps> what we're teaching is getting yourself in position to run the race worthy of a prize and reach the goal, the high mark, the high call. Amen? And, and don't be yeah. intimidated by the enemy. Don't be intimidated at all. That's what happened to Elijah. The enemy, that's exactly what the enemy said. In your greatest victories, the enemy wants to turn it to you because you're gaining ground in your greatest victory and turn right and get right in your face in some way, shape, or form as if I haven't gone anywhere. You haven't won. To give you the opportunity to pick back up your own life and do something for your sake. You love not your... Okay. In your husband's situation with you and praying, if you guys, you love not your own life unto death because you're never going to die. So death isn't even the issue. So the prayer, the unanswered prayer, when you love not your own life unto death, it's not about it has to go this way or else. Or if it doesn't go this way, I'm devastated. But I was sure now I'm confused and now I'm troubled and now I can't ever be in faith again or whatever. I'm just saying. No, we love not our own life unto death. We have surrendered. We said God's way is the way and he's growing us up and maturing us in that truth and taking us to that place of integrity. That's why I said when those things happen, that's when faith is really required. Because the mind says a lot of things and there's a whole list of rationales. And that's where you better have faith. Where did that mic go anyway? I never, did you still have something? I ran the mic back to Brian because, well, I just knew it pertained to this strongly. I don't, huh? Are you good? Okay. Real quick, so Brian said it's between um, expectation and faith. So uh, Psalm 62, 10 says, my expectation in the, is in the Lord, and hope is positive expectation. Sure it is. What, what it, but, but what he's saying is it's at, it's, it's at that level, and we're calling that, like faith is the reality, the realization of my hope. So hope is great. It's the anchor of my soul. Hope is a great and good thing. You grew up here and don't get your hope up. That's a lie from hell. My expectation is from the Lord. He's just sharing a simple thing, which I, I, I got when he said it was, it was very clear. A lot of times it's our, there's an expectation. That's why we can be so disappointed. It's like a door open for disappointment. Expectation, disappointment. It's like this. Here's a good example. When Jesus stops the, the funeral of the widow's son, you know in the back of his mind he's not saying, God, I hope this works or I'm going to look pretty foolish. That's what we would say. Because we're trying to raise the dead and we have this expectation that it might work. When he says, take your bed and walk, and the guy goes and gets up, Jesus isn't going, thank you, Father. That's what we do. Come on. How many times did you pray for the sick and they got healed and you were surprised? 
and you were shocked and you rejoiced in a like, oh my God, right? What's God honoring? Most of the time he's honoring the fact that you're willing. It's always mercy anyway. But most of the time we reveal through our reactions, some people even pray and then say, I can't believe it. <laughs> wow, really? You don't have pain, really? And you just pray. <laughs> Are you hearing me? But did you get the expectation thing? Go ahead. Man, time so, flies. Like I totally get, like I've had situations like that where I'm like, really? <laughs> and like, my question is, I've heard a lot of pastors say, um, pray with expectation or pray in expectation. Is that wrong? Because I, I found personally when I am expecting, when I'm praying in expectation, I seem to not get it. But when I'm praying without expecting, I get that, really? <laughs> the so. whole divorce paper in your hand thing, you have to hear what he's saying. When, did you want to explain it more or do you want me to just take it? Because I think I caught what you're saying. It's, it's the revelation. It's, it's, there's, no, there's no other end. It's not an open-ended thing. So, you know, get your expectations. Like, here's this term. You just got to try to have faith, brother. Yeah, I'm trying. What is that? I'm trying to have faith. How do you try to have faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Your hope comes from knowing Him. Faith is the spontaneous result of your relationship with God. It's knowing Him. It's, it's love. It works out of love. We've let faith come from the fact that we know what the Bible says concerning our situation. And now we're putting our expectation in the fact that that'll happen. And it could be apart from knowing Him. So when it doesn't happen, we're very confused of who He is because who are you? Where were you? I said this. I believed this. You weren't there. And now you're talking to a God out here somewhere who, if you're not careful, was out there all along. Just because you found what the Bible says about your situation and you quote it, faith works through love. It's a relationship. Faith is the spontaneous flow of my life through knowing Him. If I'm trying to have faith, I'm revealing that I don't. And at best, I'm reduced to I'm hoping this works. And if it doesn't, I can be very disappointed. You see what I mean? You've got to love not your own life unto death. The accuser is accusing day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. What's his accusation? That you love yourself more than God. That you're incorporating him into your life and applying him to your life in hopes of a better life. And I'll disappoint you. That's the devil's initiative right there. And I will disappoint you. Make your best charge, but I will knock your feet out from under you. Because the truth is, I believe you're in this for you and what God can do for you, not how he can make you more like him. And I will cause you to be deceived. And I will bring hardship and problems. And then our minds say and challenge God, well, why, God, why doesn't God protect me? He has by showing you the truth of living selfless. He's overcome the world. Be of good cheer. Have peace. In him you have peace. The world you have tribulation. In me you have peace. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Somebody that doesn't understand what he's saying was like, come on, what are you, some kind of wise guy? What do you mean you overcome the world? Well, if you overcome the world, then why do I have tribulation? We think overcoming the world means glassy seas. Overcoming the world 
means he took you out of the perspective of the world and the mindset of the world and the way of the world and you have a way bigger picture called everlasting life. And it's not about now, it's about him. That doesn't open your door up for just defeat and natural loss and, and remaining sick, no. But you have to lay that as a foundation and a priority or all those other things are going to get you scrambling, striving and reading all these faith books and quoting all these promises till you're blue in the face and then sighing and discouraged because it's not your works. It's His already finished work. Come on. We put our faith in our ability to pray, what we're praying, how we're praying, and it's what we believe about what He's already done in His love for us. Come on, we pray hard. We have those phrases, pray hard. How many of you have went to pray for the sick and what you got more conscious of is what you were about to say and if it sounded spiritual or right? Be honest. Anybody that prays for the sick knows what I'm talking about. It's a lie. It's not even what you pray. It's what you believe. It's what you believe. <laughs> I, I did, we, got a lot of, we had a lot of questions, which were all good, and that was good that you shared that. I wanted to go into something. Let me try to wrap this up quick, because I want you to see this, because it has to do with this topic. Because I, I had a place I wanted to go, but that'll have to be for another time. Okay, I'm going to read fast. I've got five minutes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. It does not fade away. The inheritance does not fade away. So even if you lose a spouse, even if trouble comes, I'm not saying let go and just let things get run over. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, just, no, I was just, that was to read that one verse when Patty asked the question. But we were in First Peter. I thought you guys were more prophetic than that. I'm sorry. We, uh, we didn't teach on the prophetic yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. An inheritance, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled. It does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Got to get a bigger picture. We got to, for the joy set before us, press through. We're going to run this race worthy of a prize. We're going to reach the high goal, the mark. We're kept by the power of God. So God's for us. God's with us. We're kept by the power of God. Wonder if the power of God by faith, through faith. Wonder if kept by the power of God through faith is having a crystal clear perspective in the face of chaos. Wonder if your crystal clear perspective releases the power of God and grace in your life when nothing's making sense. You still understand He's good. And you still understand it's not about you. And there's a bigger picture. And even if you can't dot all the, cross all the T's and all that stuff, you still believe. And friends press you for answers and press you for explanation and almost challenge and don't even realize they're doing it. Well, if God's then, how come? Well, why are you? Well, then why are you? Well, then explain to me. That all the time, that mentality needs to die. That means we're constantly criticizing the kingdom. And we're trying to find the validity of God through the expression of life. The validity of God is revealed through Christ. Yeah. Look, we're kept for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So we're believing for something. We're living, man, when the chips fall and it says, when he appears, I will appear with him because my life is in him. And everybody's going to go, whoa, he was serious. God forbid that somebody else isn't serious. God forbid we wait till that day to go, whoa, it was true. Well, it was more to this than how I feel. 
Because I'll tell you, if you live by your feelings and how you feel today, the devil will eat your lunch. He can make you feel a lot of things as you begin to agree with him. If you don't fight back and submit to God, he will start overcoming and suppress and oppress your soul and make you believe something you're not. You don't live by feelings. You live by faith. In this you greatly rejoice. See, I don't know how many of us are greatly rejoicing in those three verses. I think, I think a lot of us let our rejoicing be dictated by how things are going. And if things are going good, I rejoice. And then I live for the moment. And then the whole time the moment's here, I'm wondering how short-lived it'll be. And how long it'll be till I catch another moment. Come on, be real with me. There ain't a lot of great joy among the people of God at large. Because we're trying to find it somewhere else. It's a salvation that's revealed. I'm saved forever. I'm alive forever. I'm loved by God unfailingly. He'll never change His mind about me. Come hell or high water. Run over me with a Mack truck. Kill everything around me. Destroy my whole family line. I live forever. <laughs> see? See, that kind of preaching freaks people out because we're living for better day. <laughs> <laughs> in this you rejoice though now because see you can't take nothing away that's the point of what I just said if you take all that stuff I just said you've took nothing because I'm in him forever what can you do to me now <laughs> see what's wrong with me see why I'm flaky and weird <laughs> it's too late now Patty <laughs> it's way too late He's got in my heart. He's got in my head. This thing's got in my head. <laughs> Can't get away now. Oh, God. I got to read, read. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, though now for a little while, if need be. Who has another translation, if need be? Necessary, if necessary. I like that one. We see, we tried to hit this the other day, and then I got pulled over with a question somewhere. I think that's when the, the homosexual question came up. I think I was on this. For a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. If necessary. Why? Because the trials are a great privilege to work kinks out. To solidify and work in you truth. And if it wasn't for the trial, you'd never really know. <laughs> Come on. Daniel in the lion's den is just a philosophy until you've been in there. All you can do is rejoice over Daniel's revelation, but wonder if you get one. We're so afraid of the lion's den. We're so self-centered and self-serving. We're so freaked out about the lion's den. We're trying to stay out of it. Get in there and find out he's God. We're so afraid of fire. Put out the fires. <laughs> We're living for circumstance-free living. The fire's where you find Him. He is in the fire, church. He's in the fire. So we tell children's church stories in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we all get excited. Woo! wonder if you are entitled to that revelation. wonder if you're entitled to that courage. 
I wonder if you're entitled to the same favor. I wonder if you're even in a covenant with greater glory and greater promise. But it takes the integrity that they had for you to get there. And if you're just worried about the fire, your eyes aren't on Him. And then the only reason you call on Him is because of the fire. So it's not even your love for God, it's the fear of the fire. But it sounds like prayer and it sounds like faith. But it's motivated by fear and flesh. Come on, I hope you're getting this. You better listen to this tape. The last 10 minutes is the most powerful this day. And I'm late and I'm sorry, but I got to read this. A little while if need be, if need be, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Who's ever been grieved by various trials? Who's ever been in something they didn't ask for and something they didn't order? But a wrong perspective enrages that thing and keeps you in there long lived. And all of a sudden that thing can even mark you for a long time in your life. And now you're a living product of what you've been through instead of what he's been through. It's deception. Here's why God doesn't stop it. Ooh, I got everybody's attention on that one. I felt the room get silent. Because if God just jumped in the way every time, and every time you stub your oh, honey, here, let me kiss a little boo-boo. <laughs> why are the trials... Satan takes a risk every time he touches you that he's going to perfect you in Christ. But he doesn't believe you're sincere. He doesn't believe you love God more than your own life. He's sure you love yourself more than God. He's sure that you're incorporating God into your life for a better hope and a better day. God doesn't get in the way because it's your opportunity to be perfected, fine-tuned, and God revealed. Watch this. For a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the genuineness of your faith. See where faith is needed the most? Right in the heat of the trial. Not for the healing, not just for the victory. Faith's not just needed for the breakthrough. Faith is needed to endure the trial. Faith is needed to press through. The genuineness of your faith being more precious than what? Gold and silver, that peri- or precious gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, that your faith, he's talking about your faith, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The trial reveals and brings a revelation of the finished work of Christ into your life when you stand in faith. Now watch this. Whom he have not seen, you love him. <laughs> watch. Though now you do not see him. Who's been in circumstances and you look around and say, I don't see God in any of this. Who's done that? Okay, but who's done this? Now you don't see Him, yet believing. This is where you find if you have faith in a right understanding. Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. No, we go... Oh, no, not again. Where are you, God? God, I'm drowning down here. Don't you care? Another wave! (laughs) Who's ever little at the shore and the big wave got you? And you're getting up and the sand is in your pants and it feels horrible and there's salt water in your nose and mouth and and you're you're choking and you're like recovering and you turn and the other one, because you're so caught up in the distress that the other one, Who's ever had that experience? 
I guarantee it. That's why I'm relaying it, because I've been there a couple times. And then the second time, you're so battered, and it's like a loved one finally has to come and say, get out of the break zone. Get out of it, because you're about ready to get hit again. Because you're so fixed on what? The trauma, how you feel, what's wrong. And you stand in a zone and get hit again and again and again. And the Christian rejoices with joy inexpressible because he loves not his own life unto death. And it's not about the fire raging. It's who God is that saves you. And keeping your eyes on Him. That's not accepting defeat. That's staying in a place of faith, and faith will bring victory in your life. Watch this. Watch this. I know I'm late, and I am so sorry. I don't know what else to do, but I, I'm not even going to be here next week, and i got to finish this. Whom having not seen, you love. And though now you don't see him, where is God in that? Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, receiving, watch, receiving the end result, the consummation of your faith. What's the purpose of faith? Dash. What's the consummation of faith? Dash. The salvation of your souls. Not your spirit. The redemption of your mind. In the place of faith, your mind gets renewed and restored back to the beginning where all you see is God, where all you hear is God. And even though there's whisperings and feelings and things, you are back on track and you are walking in truth and your soul is redeemed and restored back to the beginning before sin and its effects and you're living in truth. What's the purpose of your faith? The redemption, the salvation of your mind and emotions. <laughs> it's starting to happen to me. I promise you, I'm in that process. Yeah. The Bible says, watch, it's hitting you, isn't it? Watch, watch. The Bible says, Vicki, you're not one that draws back. Because if you draw back, his soul can take no pleasure in you. Why? Because he can't fulfill the reason he brought you forth and predestined you. So if you draw back, you step out of the provision of destiny and grace, and God can't write His story anymore. When you step back, you take the pen out of His hand. But you aren't those that draw back, Vicki. You're one that goes forward in the midst, pressing forward, believing to the salvation of your soul. <laughs> and you're not letting anything stop it. So if you don't deny yourself and die to yourself and surrender yourself, you'll never live that way. At best, we incorporate Him in. And that's why so many people aren't encouraged in the face of life, even though the giver of life is here and He is Jesus. That's what happened at Lazarus' tomb. All they could see was the chaos, the death, the loss, the blame shifting. And He is the resurrection of life. He's standing right in the midst of the fall of man and all anybody could see was the fall. And there's the Lord. And no one could see who he was because their eyes were all on the wrong things. Stand to your feet. We've got to pray. I'm late. I'm sorry. Yeah. God, you're good. Father, we love you. Father, we love you. Father, we love you. Thanks for the saving of our souls. Father, we love you. Just yield right now. Just... Just, just worship. Just tell him he's amazing. Ask him to father you. 
Ask Him to teach you. Tell Him right now, you're not going to live by your feelings. You're not going to live by your feelings. Holy Spirit, come and increase in me. Let me hear your voice more than ever before. Expose everything in your light. I see light. Thank you for working in me for your good pleasure. Working in me. It's God who wills to both do uh, work in me. uh, And he does it for his good pleasure. To will and do for his good pleasure. I'm yours. Lord, I'm yours. And if in any way those are just words, perfect me and form me. Thank you for grace working in my life. I'm not under law. I'm not judged. I'm not looking inside to criticize and and come up with a negative review. I'm saying I'm yours. And if in any other way I'm living, bring it to my attention. Orchestrate my life, Lord. Let me walk one with you. Thank you. Thank you. Teach me to rejoice with joy inexpressible in the face of fire. And teach me to love not my own life unto death. And I thank you, Father, for your glory in my life. In Jesus' name. Father, I bless these students. The weekend, let us manifest your name. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Bless you. I'll be away. I'll be in Colorado all next week. I won't. I won't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) Are you going to be home? Are you making it there? You going to be home in time? Okay, I didn't know when you'd get home. So I won't be here next week. Pastor Don's going to take the school for the week. Uh, so love you guys. Oh, that's messed up.